Hello everybody, and thank you again very much for coming by another one of our Merged Worlds Dungeons and Dragons story stream today. Um, I'm really excited to get into it. Uh, last episode ended in what was kind, excuse me, kind of the end of a chapter, and so now we uh, move into the next major phase of the story. So I'm uh, really excited to share that with you all, and I thank you all for coming. Uh, just to say hi so far, I see we have Mystique, Taijo, Neon, James, and Kick Pedodo. Thank you very much for coming by today, guys. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so um, we'll give it a minute or two, make sure everybody's here. Um, we're going to start off today uh, by picking the winner of the ODG Twitter contest. Ran a contest for several days last month on Twitter. Um, all you had to do is follow my Twitter account like each contest post which came out once a day and uh, retweet that post and each day you did that you got your name in the hat for a $50 Steam gift card uh, so we're going to give that away today at the beginning of this stream uh, hello grape grape yeah. hello thank you for coming by um, so we're going to do that first the way it's going to work um, is again each day that you participated your name got in the hat an extra time so what I've done is I've gone through and got a list of every person who participated and how many days that they followed all the rules and were in, in and participated the right way. Hello, MT. Um, and then, for example, if somebody was in there, did it 10 days, then they are allotted 10 numbers. And we're going to do basically a, I've got a Google program that's going to randomly choose a number between 1 and 160. And whichever number is chosen, we'll find who, what number that is attributed to which person, and then they're going to win the prize. So. Uh, we're going to start with that, then we will do um, just a brief where we left off in the story, uh, which is a little bit more since we, we kind of hit the end of that chapter there, and then we'll uh, start into the new stuff. So, again, I appreciate everybody coming. If you do enjoy yourself today, please be sure to click like or subscribe to the channel if you've not already. So, Okay, uh, so let's go ahead right off the bat. I'm going to switch us over to a different display capture, so uh, we'll go to my desktop real quick. Um, so that's my wallpaper. Uh, so first thing we're going to do is we are going to pull up this. So this is a list of every person that was in the contest. And then it gives their uh, Twitter handle. Then it gives how many times or how many days they participated. And then the number that's been allotted to them is on the right. So if that number on the right, any of those, if you're, for example, the very first one, James Jury, if, you, if it's number 1 through 11, you win. So that's kind of how we're going to do this here. I think it's the fairest way that I can find. I was going to do a spin the wheel option, uh, but there was just so many people on there, you couldn't read any of the words on the wheel. So uh, there's just a lot more people uh, in it than I thought we're going to. So I appreciate that. So basically, we're going to put in one, and upper limit is 160. Now, when I hit generate, it is going to pick a number between 160, and whatever number that is, uh, we'll match it to the number on the far right-hand side of the column, and that who has won, who has won a $50 Steam gift card, which I will reach out to you uh, probably later tonight or tomorrow morning to get that to you. Uh, but I do want to take a moment just to say thank you to everybody who participated. Um, I'm definitely trying to grow the channel and uh, potentially attract uh, sponsors, and I know having an active and well-followed social media 
um, is a very important thing that they look for. So I appreciate everybody who's following me on Twitter. I'm trying to grow it as well. Um, the more I can do that kind of stuff, the better chance I have of eventually being able to do this full-time with you guys. So, All right, further review, I'm going to click the Generate button, and we're going to see who wins. It's very quick. And, boop, 81. Number 81 was Taijo Gaming. At 73 to 83 was his number sequence. So Taijo is the winner of our Twitter contest. So Taijo, if you're there, awesome. I'll reach out to you here um, after the stream and such. And we will make arrangements to get you your card. But again, thank you to everyone who participated and followed along. I'm going to try to do contests like this um, a bit more often with different types of prizes. Uh, so definitely... You know, keep an eye on things like Twitter and such, because um, we'll do prizes on streams as well as we'll do prizes and such on uh, other stuff, you know, like, like the streams and such themselves. So, um, congratulations, Taijo. And again, thank you, everyone, who participated in that contest. It was a lot of fun and uh, had a lot more um, uh, people who participated than I thought were going to. So, thank you very much for that. Definitely saw a big jump in it that month. So, very, very cool. Okay. So now that we've got that out of the way, uh, let's do just a real brief recap. So if you've not been here in the past, our group of heroes are on a world that was recently created. Chunks of every world in existence were crushed together, thrown together in an instant, which created merged worlds itself. And a group of heroes have been chosen by a demigod to gather a bunch of magical artifact weapons. Uh, because he says with getting those, he the demigod may have the ability to fix it so people can finally get home to where they're from or fix the whole mess altogether. Our heroes uh, searched down those weapons and were, invo were involved with a big battle uh, to which some of them died. But months later, Z Zoltan the demigod was able to bring them back and uh, some of them and put them back on that quest to once again regain those items uh, which had been locked inside of an basically a prime pocket material. So basically that means it's another plane of existence, like a bag of holding, but it's a space outside of space. And the only way to unlock them was to get all these artifact gems back, which they've been searching for a long time. At the end of our last adventure, they succeeded in their trials and tribulations to gather all the stones and successfully got all of the weapons back, but doing so they did lose all of the magical stones. The magical items are wrapped inside of these special basic blankets, if you will, tapestries. Um, and when wrapped inside of the weapon, weapons wrapped inside of them, they cannot be sensed from anyone. So no magical uh, scrying and such will be able to find it. It's a way for the heroes to hide the weapons from those villains who are trying to get them. But that also means that they can't use them either, which itself is difficult because they are some pretty powerful weapons. And we've not talked about a lot of what they do just because it's not important to the story at this point. But some of those weapons are pretty boss. But they are uh, they can't use them because once they unwrap them, uh, the bad folks, if you will, or the darkness, Mr. Firemoon, Nylat Firemoon himself, will come looking for them. So at the end of the last adventure, they were up in this snowy monk retreat in the middle of these mountains where they retrieved the weapons and... They then decided to return home, and our four heroes all have their magical uh, 
they have a magical ring called the Ring of Central Teleportation, which teleports them to a matching obsidian obelisk. Stands about that high. Well, I guess if you're audio, it's like eight inches high. Which they have uh, locked in a secret room in their basement of their home back in the city of Paxawal, which is kind of their home base. where They work with the mages and the clerics to try to find these artifacts and such, and at the same time have helped the kingdom in multiple different situations that they're pretty well known at this point. But their uh, ring will teleport them back to that obelisk, which they do at the end of the adventure. As always, they appear in the pitch black darkness of the... Well, mostly pitch black darkness. Of the hidden room that is super well hidden and filled with traps and uh, Dandy the Thief has blocked up. And as they materialize back in the room, they're not in there but a second, and they hear from behind them a voice that just says, Hello, friends. And that's where we left off last time, was that voice. Um, coincidentally, when I was running the D&D campaign, that's the same place that I ended the adventure that day. And one of our players went to Canada for the next couple of months. So we live in the United States, southern U.S. at this point. And she was gone for several months and we didn't get to play. So I wouldn't tell them who it was. It was like two and a half months. They were dwelling and chatting about it and trying to figure out who it was until we all got back together and play it again. So you folks didn't have to wait that long. You just had to wait two weeks. So that's where we're going to uh, jump into now. So oh, get the old story number one binder out. I have multiple of these binders and books that tell this story, but... We're in the area where I have specific notes and names now, so I'm excited. I get to share specific details. Um, yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's where we're going to start today. Hello, friends. Comes the voice behind them. And instantly, weapons come out, you know. Darsh spins, Mercy draws her weapon. She doesn't have to draw her weapon. If you remember, she has that magical, other magical ring that she can basically cause her morning star to appear in her hand from any distance, from any range, at any time. Which is one, probably one of the more powerful magic artifacts that they have at this point. Uh, not counting the flying carpet or their chest of holding. But her weapon's in her hand instantly. Y'all turn around and their infravision's kicking in because I went from a lit room to a dark room. It's not instantaneous. The only one who can see immediately is Mercy because she has her little magical circlet around her head that lets her see in darkness just as well as if it's daylight. She's also the only person in the group, the only human and the only person who doesn't have infravision. Darsh being a minotaur, Artemis being an elf, and Dandy being a kender. So they whip around... Because that thought is, who could get past Dandy's traps and find this hidden room? Who would even know that they're, you know, that they'd be coming back? Has to be a source of evil. <laughs> Ooh, quick notification. Thank you very much, Timmy Toenail, for the follow. Appreciate that. <laughs> nice name. I like that. Um, they whip around and sitting on a barrel next to a chest of their hidden loot and treasure, if you will. Some of it, most of it, again, if you remember, is locked inside the uh, temple. The temple uses, uh, also acts as a bank for members of the clergy. So they have a large amount of their wealth there, because they're pretty well off at this point. They're, they're almost low-scale low millionaires. And hello, Mr. MRZ. Thanks for coming by. 
Um, they turn around, ready to battle, and their weapons slowly lower. Because sitting behind them on a barrel, next to their, some treasure they keep on hand, is Smallsius Early. And for those of you who are here in the earlier episodes, Smallsius Early is a human, but almost as short as Dandy. He's a tiny little guy. But he's also an expert rogue, uh, probably even more so than Dandy, but a one of the best friends and personal allies of Rafe Firemoon, the guy who got all this junk started. <laughs> and he's just sitting there smoking a pipe. Because he, he did smoke a pipe. That was, that was one of his, I don't think I mentioned that, but he loves his pipe. But How did you get in here? He's like, don't worry. I locked everything before I came in. It's about time, though. I didn't think you guys were ever going to show up. Well, anyways, come on. It's cramped in here. And he opens the hidden door and walks out. <laughs> and they look at each other like, what the hell? Why, why did we have a hidden room? But, again, Smarlzius is just not anybody. Uh, he's a knife specialist. That's his thing. Daggers is all he wields. Um, but they go out and uh, sit down and go to their living room area where they kind of settle down, start take, setting down their packs and stuff and the things that they brought with them and brought back with them. And he says, before you start asking me a lot of questions about how and when and what and yada yada, he's like, I knew you'd be back today because the gray man told me. Darsh rolls his eyes and throws his stuff down on the ground. <laughs> Irritated. Darsh more than anybody else dislikes Zoltan the demigod. Oh, did he now? Said Dandy. He knew when we'd be back? He's like, well, he told me you'd be, back, you'd be back sometime in the next few days. Of course, he told me that several weeks ago. Which, of course, that moment shocks Mercy and them a little bit and Dandy because that was before they even knew where they were going. But he goes, but I've been looking for you. I have been sent with... Oops. Thank you, Antonio Sammy, for the follow. I appreciate that as well. Thank you. But uh, he says, I've, I bring you a message from my lord, King Rafe Fireman. Tidings of good joy and welcome. You are cordially invited to King Firemoon's wedding. Those of you who've been here in the past, you remember that Rafe had a beloved named Michelle, Michelle Lardon, and she was kidnapped by his brother and used to kind of keep him at bay for the longest time. But she survived into the merge and kind of looked after the kingdom and such uh, while Darsh's best friend, Taborik the Minotaur, the one-armed Minotaur, let me uh, kind of ruled in uh, Rafe's stead until they could find out what happened to Rafe. And after all the stuff that's gone on, he got home, he was locked in a crystal, there's a lot of stuff, it's all in the older episodes, you can go back and watch it. <laughs> but, um, he, uh, he went all, he finally gets home and things have settled down over the past year, year and a half where, uh, they're finally able to settle down and finally make their nuptials official. And it's actually going to be in about three months, they planned it well ahead of time because it's a pretty big event. Um, Rafe 
Kingdom is probably the closest in size to Paxawal. Paxawal is the largest kingdom of any of the cities we've been to, by far. Um, Arduel is smaller than Firemoon. Uh, Thorman's the smallest of all of them. Uh, not counting the Minotaur Isles. The Minotaur Isles, physical size, probably less, but they have a lot of people in a small area, and then the, the amount of water they claim is their territory makes it pretty large. But for land size, Firemoon's is the second largest, um, and it has probably the equal of military as Paxawal does. Uh, although it is landlocked, it does not have a navy of any kind, it doesn't need one. Um, the Knights of Firemoon um, are a pretty high-ranking kind of military outfit. They know what they're doing. And so part of this wedding is not just a wedding, of course. It's always a wedding, but there's always stuff over there. The kings and the leaders of all the different kingdoms have been invited, of course, because Firemoon is... Rafe is trying to do his best to ally with all the different kingdoms. Um, there's a lot of weird stuff that's happened in the last few years with the merge and all that stuff. Not everybody really knows that it was him or his brother that were involved with causing all of this mess. Um, but, you know, allying the different countries that are relatively close to each other um, for both trade, protection, support, uh, is all positives, but not everybody wants to jump into that kind of thing. So Fire Moon, again, if we're looking at a map here, I'm going to draw this from your point of view, okay? So this is west, this is east, right? So imagine if Paxawal's in the bottom middle, right? Thorman is to the, the west. There's a mountain range in between. That's where they went over to fight the undead. To the east, a, great, a good distance, is Arduel. That's where they saved King, uh, now was Prince, but now King Christopher, in the very early of their adventures. Firemoon is pretty north of that. Um, so it's actually closest to Arduel and the Elven Kingdom, which is even more east of Arduel. The Elves uh, have declined any invitation, and at this point are very protective of their woods. They let no one in it, and uh, they are not eager to ally with anyone. They are uh, stay out of our hair and we'll stay out of yours kind of a mentality. But Firemoon is using this as an opportunity to bring uh, together a large amount of diplomats. While the kings and not all the kings and leaders are all going to show up at once, they will send ambassadors and ranked people who can speak in their, in their stead. And this will be an opportunity for Rafe to get some everybody at a table kind of thing on what is a pretty positive situation or uh, occasion. Uh, but Smallsius was given this specific job of uh, he came here to also make sure that they were they knew, and then he's going to go on to Thorman to let them know as well um, that their invitation was there. Uh, they, he was specifically said, hey, stop and find these folks. They did, after all, save Rafe's life, dig him out of that crystal in the middle of the world and bring him back up again. Um, and since they, and, and, and Rafe's not stupid, and they know that, these are, a these are a group of people that uh, have been incredibly helpful to several kingdoms. They saved the king of Arduel uh, you know, from the mutiny, I guess you could say, was taking over his kingdom. They saved, helped save Thorman from the waves of undead. They've helped Paxwall multiple times. Um, so that is someone who he's allied with 
that is really in good standing of all these different kingdoms he's inviting. That's a really good bridge tool to use there. And Smalls just talks about this with him. They, he's, there's no reason to lie. It's like, you know, he wants you there anyways, but it would also help to have you there because you're a neutral party that, while you live in Paxawal, you're respected by everybody. They also invited the Minotaurs. Uh, at this point, the Minotaurs have, um, have declined that offer. Um, sadly. But that's where we sit. So it's going to be three months from now. Because, you know, travel takes a while. They know it's not everybody's hopping in the car and zipping down the interstates. It's going to take a while to gather up and travel and so on. And, of course, the party's like, well, I mean, at this point, we don't have anything else to do. We've got these magical artifact weapons, which are supposed to get to Zoltan. He didn't show up here, so we don't know what we're supposed to do with them. So, I guess, since he's a demigod and kind of pop in anywhere, and he told you to come here... Maybe he wants us to go, which we were fine with going anyways, so why not? Plus, it's nice to be traveling for something other than trying to hunt down magical artifacts for the first time in, like, years. You know, and not be dead. One second, I got a little, little speck on my screen that's driving me crazy. So, uh, they're like, yes, of course we'll come. Excellent. So on and so forth. Where are you registered? You know, <laughs> get a gift and things. So, um, they're like, okay, cool. He's like, that is excellent. I will be sure to tell my lord when I return. But if you'll excuse me, I can't stay long. I've waited for you guys several days to return now, and at this point I need to move on to Thorman and make sure they get their invitation as well. So Smallsius takes his leave, and he's gone. Um, heroes kind of chat about it for a minute. They're like, yeah, of course, this sounds like a good idea. Zoltan's not here. This will be an opportunity. Rafe is familiar with the magic artifacts, so maybe he has information that will help us. So they, they think this is a pretty good pretty good deal since they really didn't have any direction at this point. So they decide, of course, you know, they're going to have to start planning for that trip. It's going to take several weeks of travel, if not a month, just to get there. So they're going to have to take some time to see what they can do. And they, they do their regular stuff. They put up all their stuff. Darsh goes and talks to Molly. Let's let her know that they're home. Molly is their neighbor who bakes pies, uh, who looks after their stuff while they're gone. And they slide her money for doing so and such. And she makes them pies, and Darsh loves her pies, of course. Oh, never, never comes back from Molly's house without at least one pie and some type of gravy or berry jam in his in his beard. Minotaur, big guy. Um, Dandy is going to go and sell off some of the items that they got because you know they they get certain items and treasure. I don't go into a lot of the details. Maybe they find a golden statue of a unicorn or a a ruby that's worth 500 gold pieces, that kind of thing. The kind of treasure you'd find in a and d campaign. She normally liquidates. That's her job. She, she, she'll haggle and she'll go into the, into the different places and she'll get the best deal for it. Um, and then she'll bring the coins back and then either save some of it, put some of it in the chest of holding for travel, or take the rest to the temple and basically have it added to their account. There's no, nobody's getting into the, te the temple's treasury. It's, it's a fatty. Um, so, yeah. So, at that, Mercy and Artemis, of course, they go do their check-ins. They're going to go to the temple first, explain what's happened, talk to the Brother Bart, Sister Mara, all of them, let the, the heads of the temple know where they're at and see if they have any guidance for what to do next. And then after that, they'll go to the Wizard's Tower and report there as well. Again, both of those factions have been helping them, and these are things that they want to give as well. You know, help back.
So over the next few days, that happens. Uh, Dandy's able to get quite a bit of coin for the treasure that they had picked up while they were gone uh, this last time. So they weren't in town long last time, if you remember, before they got caught up with Zack and Twill and then were out of there. So they didn't have time to do any liquidation on the previous one, and they had gotten several bits of treasure from the different stones they'd got that adventure. So, going to the temple. Mercy and Artemis are chatting with uh, Sister Mara and Brother Bart. Brother Lycos is not there. Brother Lycos is guarding the Pandora's box, which is a magical artifact that they found very early on. One of the top three clerics must be with it at all times to protect it from being stolen by followers of that evil goddess. So, they're chatting and telling what they found. Here we have the magical artifacts. No, we can't take them out and show them to you because they're wrapped up in a blanket and we don't want the bad guy to know where they are. So they're all in this magical cloth of skins. It's like, it was really a tapestry, but all patterns. It was woven with spell thread. It was a whole thing. Um, but as long as, the, again, the weapons stay rolled up in there, then nobody can sense where they are. Even little necklaces like Zoltan had wouldn't have worked. We used to spin those and point to the closest one. None of that will work. So, yes. Um, Mercy and Artemis say that, you know, at this point, they, they have to try to find the demigod. Um, it's the, the thing with Zoltan is, and I, I never really touched on this, but you know, Zoltan's a demigod. He's been there since the beginning of all this mess. It's said he came through from whatever was before this universe with the gods. But none of the clerics had ever heard of him before. Didn't know there were demigods. The demigods kind of stayed out of the big picture. They know the gods, of course, but even the clerics didn't know Zoltan existed. So at first they didn't believe it until, you know, they get into all this stuff and everything that's happening. Can't help it to at that point. But they don't know Zoltan, they don't know his story. Only what he's shared with Fire Moon and the heroes. At this point, the temple is like, well, we're going to, you know, look into things. We'll see if we can, you know, go through our scrolls, through our library, through our research or our network of information, see if we can find out anything about the weapons other than what we already know. Plus, they're also looking for more stuff about Zoltan, the gods, and all that stuff just in general. Um, although, many times they're not going to come across anything because a lot of the stuff was from other worlds than what they were on. So unless that information has been brought in since the merge, they, most of their library and such is only going to reference things that happened on their own planet. Um, Baxwell's from its own planet versus everybody. Arduel, Thorman, Firemoon, all of them are from different planets. None of, none of the kingdoms that we've talked about are from the same world at all probably should have mentioned that way earlier. <laughs> None of it has a shares of commonality. Um, the other faction that may be showing up at Fire Moon's uh, wedding will be the Knights of the Holy Crown, which is another Knights faction that has a, I guess you'd say, small fortress northwest of Arduel and southeast west of Firemoon. It's actually not super, super far from, but maybe a few days travel from New Gullyville, which is the Dead Magic Zone where Fig and the Gully Dwarves live. 
But if you remember, that's the knighthood group that Michael was a part of. Um, and they also, along with the Knights of Firemoon, fought in the Battle of the Valley of Sacrifice. So they have an understanding, or at least a somewhat ally at this point, to relatively militant groups. Um, makes sense to invite them as well. So, yeah. So, the next literally couple of months go through without any real issue. It's the longest that they've had the opportunity to even really rest and relax and even enjoy some of the benefits of being wealthy. You know, I mean, they've they never started off that way. If anybody, Artemis came from a relatively well-off family, but even then they weren't rich by Elven standards, but they were comfortable. But they have coin, you know, so many of them upgraded their you know, when Darshanim had better weapons made or a armor, things like that. Um, they uh, got backup weapons and, and gear made that they can keep in the chest of holding so if something gets broken or lost, they're not completely out of weapons for the rest of the adventure. Um, some of them even had some jewelry and such made. Not magical stuff, but, you know, specific things for them. Gave gifts to so on and so forth. Over that time period, I believe... Yule time came and went uh, during that period, if I remember correctly, which is basically the equivalent of Christmas. Uh, but in packs of wall that stays relatively, gets cool, but it never gets like cold. You know, it's not like snowy in packs of wall or anything like that. Um, imagine them in the southern states. You know, they might get a flake or two here and there, and school shuts down for the day. But the uh, regular time, it just gets cold, windy, sometimes some freezing ice, that kind of stuff. So they got each other gifts and things. They we we role played that. They had a little. You know, Christmas celebration there. Because one thing I've always tried to do when playing D&D &D is if D&D &D fell on or close to a holiday, I tried to have some kind of holiday-themed thing. So there's times, and I've mentioned this before, there's times when you're going to see a bit of a story that's like, wow, this is really something you think you'd see at Halloween. That's because it was when I played it, you know. Christmas is because it was when we played it, you know. Um, and I like to play off of some classic fables sometimes. And include a version of that in my own stories. So, uh, we're not going to see any of that today, but down the road it will definitely show up. One in particular, two in particular. You think of two different Halloweens that uh, really added to the way the world worked. But to be continued. So, they make arrangements. Uh, they're going to have to take a ship to Arduel. Uh, that's the fastest route, and then they will head north from Arduel to Firemoon. Um, they have in this time period, made arrangements uh, that both King Christopher himself will be going. Uh, he's not sending an ambassador, but he's decided to attend himself. Um, and upon finding that, they reached out, and King Christopher is like, of course I remember you guys. You saved my kingdom. And so, they're going to go to Arduel, and then they're going to travel north with him and his caravan. Uh, which, you know, safety in numbers, and Lord knows the king's traveling with a chunk of people. Um, and of course, for uh, Paxawal, uh, their delegation, because they don't have a king, remember, they have a council. Um, two of the council members from the Merchant's Guild and one from the Mage's Guild is going. Lamia is going. Um, and so is their good friend Tobias, who is the mage that you remember. Tobias has been in many of their adventures at this point. Tobias will be going with them as well. Um, so that's cool. So they get to travel and then they and the folks 
in our duel will be traveling north together. Thorman um, is going to be make, taking the same track, but they're actually going to be coming through earlier. They're going to get a head start because they know they have further to travel. So they should already be gone through our duel before any of our characters get there. And hello, uh, Mount of DZ. Thank you for coming by today. Appreciate it. Um, so again, look a little bit of political intrigue stuff here at the beginning. You know, it's, it's a little bit more, especially when we were playing D and D. It was it was an opportunity for me to flesh out some more of the noble and leader hierarchies of the different kingdoms, uh, because these these guys are involved with that stuff now. They're constantly being pulled into the adventures and troubles of the kingdoms, and so it's important to know who's in charge, because those are the people that are directly reaching out to them at this point. They're not followers and minions aren't popping up from Paxwell and saying, help us with this problem. The general, you know, their army is going to show up or the king of RDL is going to walk up and be like, hey, we need your help. Because um, they're just that well known at this point. But the time comes and goes and they hitch a ride. They get on the boat. Oh, Neon says, roughly, what level were these characters at this point? That is an incredibly good question. Um, that's actually something I should touch upon as well. So, by the point that we're at now, I remember, they were floating between levels 7 and 9, you know, respectively. Um, now, again, I played 2nd edition, so that may differ a little bit from the more modern stuff, which I've bought, but I, I'm still reading. I'm learning how 5th edition works. I've always done 2nd edition for years. They're floating between 7th and 9th. Um, and the fact that they're about to hit 9th, uh, right, right around here, is going to be very important in the very near future. Because there's something important that happens when you hit ninth level for most classes, and it will definitely have a drastic effect on their lives moving forward. But we're going to talk about that a little later. And if you don't know what I'm referencing, that's okay. I've been very vague on purpose. I've already heard level six is like uh, human general levels of strength, popular to Reno. Relatively, yes. Um, it's a little bit more in second edition. It hit a little bit more around ninth level. Once you hit ninth level, you're basically known as relatively famous. The average person in your area knows who you are, um, which is what affects what happens at ninth. But we're gonna, again, we'll see a little bit of that actually probably today. Now that I think about it, I think so. Give me a moment. <laughs> yes. 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 Excellent. There it is. That's what I was looking for. Okay. Good. We might get to that today. All right. So, they get there. It's nice to see uh, King Christopher again. They're welcome to stay at the castle. They get really nice fancy rooms, as are the other leaders of Paxwell who are with them, of course. Everybody else is in inns and stuff around the town. They spend a, a day or two there. Then, with the procession of Arduel, they, they book it out to uh, north towards Firemoon's place. They... Um, King Christopher is traveling with 200 men, uh, which is a lot. Um, but King Christopher, of all of them, probably has the, the smallest military. Um, and this is kind of his... Like, to show that he's growing. You know what I mean? Because he has. Uh, there being another um, kingdom on the Southern Ocean, which is what the water that they're on... You know, again, the bottom of this is water. I should probably show you this again. Um, this is probably not going to be the best picture ever because I'm still looking on buying a scanner. But 
here we have a rough map of what we're talking about. Okay, let me see here. That is Paxawol. Okay, Paxawol is right there. And then here's the mountain range that oh, mountain range that goes north that I talked about, right? Mountain range. And then Thorman is right here. And this is where they had to fight Michael. So they go down around the mountains to get up to Thorman. Okay, Valley of Sacrifice is here. That's New Gullyville. That's the uh, undead zone. Don't worry about that right now. Um, yes, Arduel is actually over here. It's uh, it's about here. So the, these these woods here, Arduel's right here, and then Firemoon such is up up over here in this area. So I have all the maps of those, but I'd have to hold up like four at a time, and and that would be uh, that'd be stuff. So yes, kind of so to show he's you know, that he's. He's still someone of rank, although he's, you know, he said not... The Lord, Thorman's actually smaller kingdom than his, way bigger military, and they have a navy. And uh, Christopher is well behind in the navy area. Um, pretty good when it comes to, like, merchant and fishing vessels. Not a lot in the way of navy, because remember, he was a prisoner for a chunk of time before he actually got to come out and be a king, and the wizard who was doing it wasn't really looking at that stuff. So... They travel, and it takes, again, like a week or two traveling north before they finally get to the edge of what is known as Firemoon's Lands. Um, immediately upon, you know, they, they come across a small fort uh, at the edge of the lands um, that wasn't there when our characters came through last time. Um, but uh, Firemoon is definitely... Uh, make sure that, and well, actually a lot of that was Tavoric, even before Fireman got there. Uh, just make sure that their land and what they consider their property is well defended. Uh, because again, even though every, you know, they're not really worried about the other kingdoms, Firemoon's got a brother to worry about. Nylat's still out there, and Rafe gets pulled into all of his troubles. So they, they're, they're preparing for not the defense of the other kingdoms marching in, they really could care less about them. They're more worried about Nylat, and so that's where the other kingdoms can come in beneficial. They can ally with them, and that's more forces against Nylat and whatever he's going to be doing when he's messing with the world. Because he's still out there, he's still messing with things. We just haven't seen him in a while. So they reach it there. Of course, upon reaching that, they're uh, you know welcomed in. Obviously, they know who they are. They got their banners and buglers and all that shit. Um, and outside of the kingdom, or the just within the lands, there are areas set up specifically for their men. Like, they're not taking 200 men into the into the town where the castle is. You know, that's they don't have hotels for that kind of many people. So, they're going to be mostly camping, and every faction brings their group, some more, some less, and their group will basically camp out until it's time to leave. You know, they're really close by in case anything bad happens, but mostly they're there just as a show of hey, we are important people. And so most of them settle down to the area that they're designated. A guide leads them to that because it's like an hour, hour and a half horse ride from this fort to get to the actual kingdom of fire. I mean, they've got a pretty good sized chunk of land. Land size, they're the they're probably the second largest because Paxwall is by far the largest in almost every regard. Except, like I said, Firemoon may may equal them in military at this point. Um, but Paxwell was in a really good situation because they had a lot of natural resources that they could go on, and then the world changing only increased that. 
Um, so they were they were very quickly able in their where they're positioned in the middle of all these other kingdoms, very quickly became that central hub of trade. So Paxwell very quickly grew even larger than it had been growing before the merge. But they arrive, they come into the place. Again, they are staying at a hotel, basically an inn. I shouldn't say hotel, an inn. Um, fancy one. It's been set up ahead of time. Fire Moon has literally gone to these innkeepers and they're like, we're renting out your entire inn for the next month. Here's the money ahead of time. These are people who are designated to say, these kingdom people are going to be staying in your inn. And these people's kingdom, you know, keep everybody there so they're not bumping heads, you know. Who's stronger, who's don't need any of that kind of stuff. They're, it's all for ally stuff. So everybody gets really nice digs, but they're all kind of got their own spots. Fire Moon just like, hey, here's twice as much as you normally charge a night for one month straight. You basically belong to me for the next 30 days. And again, Rafe is very loved by his people. Like, you know, and him returning, literally a month of celebration. Everybody was goo-goo for, for Rafe. Rafe was known to be just an incredibly good king, low taxes, taking care of people, that kind of stuff. Um, there are no complaints about, about Rafe, so he needs a favor, man. He's going to get it. Uh, Neon says, It really seems like the spot the Nihilat ritual happened would be the center of Merge World. Save for it being a spherical planet. Well, and again, that's that's kind of the case. If you'll remember, they went down deep under the drow when they finally got to that big giant quartz-like crystal that Rafe and Nylad had been locked in, which was their keep. And so you had to get down. It was actually very middle of the worldy, if you think about that. You know, and then chunks of it was all pulled in to that and around. Um, but it's uh you've you've tapped on something very interesting I haven't touched on yet, but we'll touch on here in a little bit. Um, but that's very good. Remember the remember the statements you just brought up because that's that's very interesting. You're gonna to want to remember that. I like that. Okay. Everybody's there, hanging out. Of course, there's gonna be a week of celebration. It's gonna be like games and jousting and all the type of stuff you'd expect to see. Probably some type of fair going on with freaks and circus and. Whatever, and, you know. Of course, people are going to be coming from everywhere to set up stalls for shopping, for markets and such, because you know, selling all this type of stuff. People coming from all over the different kingdoms. It's a great chance for the um, the locals of Fire Moon to be showing off. Hey, this is what we make here. This is why you should ally with us. So Rafe is like basically like, hey, for the next month, no taxes on anything you sell. Come on in here. I'll set up a big marketplace area so that all my guests have this phenomenal place to a see what we built here, you know, type of goods we have, and B, have a place to bring money into the country. And all these people coming in just throwing money at the locals, who doesn't want that for your kingdom? You know, the locals are going to love that. Here's all these new customers showing up and, you know, selling jewelry or custom, you know, whatever. It's nothing for a King Ardell to say, I love that chair, put it on the wagon, you know. That's an awesome sofa or dresser, I want that, ship it me here. Yeah. They got the money to make these things happen art and so that's a phenomenal statue of a Greek goddess yes give me that that will look great in my bathroom you know, whatever the case may be so a lot of opportunities for money to roll into Fire Moon to help their people as well as show off everything else so all this happens you know the first day nobody really sees Fire Moon specifically they're just kind of meandering about for the first day or two but it's, it's scheduled well so most people are there Thorman is already there um, Paxwall came with Arduel so you're with them a very small group of people came from Kronayar. There is a small delegation 
from the Minotaur Kingdom. Literally 10 people. But they are staying to themselves, and they're basically here looking. I mean, they're not here to sign nothing. They're just here to see what everybody else is talking about. Sure, nobody's arming up against the Minotaurs kind of thing, but on paper, you know, they're here to show respects kind of thing. Um, and uh, the Knights of the Holy Crown are here as well. Um, and so everybody's kind of yibbering, yabbing, these kingdoms getting with Thorman, and Arduel's hanging out a little bit with the Knights of the, of the Holy Crown because they don't live too far apart, and they're working on trades and such. Um, and Arduel and Paxwall are already the, the two kingdoms that are really linked together, and Thorman is on the verge of signing that. Like they're they're the three of them are about to become what is known as the Southern Kingdoms because again they live on the Southern Ocean, right? The very south of all this land. So the Southern Kingdoms is what they know themselves as. The Pact or the Treaty of the Southern Kingdoms, and they really would love to have Firemoon and the Knights of the Holy Crown pull into that. Um, and that's kind of what a lot of this talking is going to be. So different factions or bastards getting together and having dinner and hanging out and such. There's a lot of that going on in that first week. Um, and by the second day, of course, our heroes are welcomed in, invited to have dinner with, with Rafe himself. Um, and is betrothed and so on. And Tabork, the one-armed minotaur there, who is now basically um, the right-hand man. Funny joke, he's got one arm. But you know what I mean, the right-hand man of of uh, Rafe listening to their story and in private they, they hear the rest of the story and they're like yeah Zoltan showed up and said this is where you'd be and so I sent Smells he's there he's not back yet uh, well he was but then he left off again because he's looking at something else inviting some more people or whatever um, Smallsius is their number one traveling ambassador so a lot of times he's the one that goes to places and deals with them um, if Tabork shows up there's a problem you know, Tabork's the big guns. If Tabork shows up, then there's some serious negotiations about to happen because Tabork doesn't screw around. Smallsius is the is the is the nice, friendly, talking you up kind of person. So, in private, they tell the story. Yes, we have the weapons. Um, we really don't want to show them to you, but if you really want to see them, we will. And he's like, God, no, I've seen them more times than I want. I'd rather they stay locked up where my brother can't find them. That's a good thing. They're wrapped in them blankets. They're in your chest of holding. That's like a two-separation wall that would keep people from scrying that. I'm okay with them where they are. He's like, at this point, I have absolutely no problem you taking over that burden. Half of my life at this point has been these damn artifacts. So I'm glad that they're in your hands at this point, and I'm not the one having to deal with it. I got enough stuff going on. He talks about what's going on and what they've seen in their adventures. They talk about the Realm Gates. There's not one far from the edge of Firemoon's kingdom. It just kind of showed up in the middle of these woods one day. Some of you out there are like, we just found this giant arch that was never here before on a nice pedestal of this material we can't even scratch and we can't tell what it is. And he's interested because he doesn't have a key. When they tell him about the key and show him the key, he's like, I'm going to have to look at one of those. Because that's not far from here, getting a hold of a key to be able to bounce to north of Paxawal, if I do open trade with Paxawal, that'd be a great way to save a month's worth of travel both directions. If Paxawal had one and I had one, I mean, that's a that's an open uh, travel way, but at the same time, I need to have one of those. And now that he knows exactly what it does, he's like, I gotta defend it. I gotta put build a fort around it or something, because if an army comes through there, I gotta be ready, you know, because who knows? So that, that, uh, 
that's a little bit of drama and stress he was not looking for today, but he, he basically says to Tabork, Tabork's like, I'll take care of it. He's like, I'll, I'll see about it immediately. Because Tabork is basically the guy who runs their military. Um, so that happens. So, the wedding week commences. Um, I had different events over those seven days. Some of the characters participated in them. Uh, some of the fake weaponing things and such. And uh, uh, Mercy won like a pretty big award. Uh, Darsh um, won a strength thing again, clearly. Uh, and Tabork, even with one hand, almost beat Darsh. And that was a that was a that was an important thing because it showed that as strong as Darsh is, and the other Minotaurs, you know, look at Darsh like. This, this young Minotaur just has a battle, not only has he got battle skill, but physical strength, which is strength and prowess is big in Minotaurs. He's up there. And Tabork walks up and almost tops Darsh with one hand. Because before he lost his other hand, Darsh couldn't have held strength to Tabork. I'm not saying he couldn't have taken him in fight, because Although Tabork's higher level, he probably couldn't have. But I'm just saying that for physical strength, Tabork is is huge. And he stands almost a good foot taller than um, Darsh does. He's bigger than any other Minotaur at this entire thing. He's big for a Minotaur. Uh, where Darsh is really on average. But, yeah. Uh, there's different events each day. They got to play through those. They got to do some shopping um, for different things for their house. Because I wanted them to, at this point, I had drawn out their house. They had their own little private rooms. There was things that they looked for. It was just adding a little bit more to their personal story. Um, which, at this moment, right now, doesn't sound important. But it really leads into it being important in the very near future. This was the first opportunity for them to say, I own property. And this is what I want to do with it. So, that was that. Finally, the big day comes. The wedding goes through. Nylant does not show up. The wedding goes through perfectly fine. Everybody assumed... Sorry, there was a hair there. Everybody assumed Nylant was going to show up and ruin the wedding. Trust me, this man's messed this wedding up for years. The wedding went through without a hitch. It was a phenomenal situation. Uh, the games and such that Firemoon and Tabor had set up um, were did exactly what they wanted. Camaraderie, the different kingdoms working together in some of these things. They actually different people would have to work together to earn the prizes or win the different puzzles and things that I'd set up. Um, and it worked to make these groups of people work together and see how much stronger they can be when they're a team, which is really the whole reason he set it up the way he did. So, this is going on very well. After the wedding ends, there's going to be another week of fun stuff. You know, games and such. A week, week, huh? There's no honeymoon. doesn't work like that. But a week of that big stuff going on. So, everybody's going to hang out a week, and then they're basically going to leave. Two days after the wedding, something happens. And I know I kind of breezed through all that, but a lot of that stuff we did there was... Uh, just chance for them to role play their characters, but it was nothing that was overwhelmingly story important. So I'm, I'm just kind of they, they spent a good week having a good time, and they really did. For the first time since the merge, they genuinely got to just enjoy themselves without worry or care. But then things happen. So it's two days after the wedding, and our heroes receive a message that Lord Firemoon would like to see them again. And they're like, sure, why not? We love hanging out with Fire Moon. You know, we hung out with him just the other day. Let's go see him again. 
and they come in there and when they show up and in, in they it's not like a meal but they're actually meeting kind of in the waiting room in the the ready room or the the room where you'd hang out and meet people it's a private den i guess you say and uh Tabork's already there and so smallthius he's back at the, he, everybody was back by the wedding he's there wrote on the, the dwarven cleric is there everybody's there and uh Tabork's like, have a seat. We'll, we're, he says, what's going on? We're going to talk about it. We're waiting for the king. Rafe shows up a couple of minutes later. What he says is, my friends, I have a favor to ask of you. This morning, a messenger arrived from a small town uh, quite a distance northeast of here. Um, it is place called Silver's Bay. There's a large lake up there. And there are a couple of different small, well, medium-sized towns on each of the, the shores. And they are okay, but there's a little bit of stress there because there's competition because um, there is a fish in this thing called, basically it's the silverfish, um, that is very, very tasty. Um, and it's... Um, if I remember correctly, it's like the scales and such were particularly um, like iridescent. They're very shiny, so they're, the scales and such are dried and used for jewelry and such. That's really, really wanted by even elves. And these fish really only ever live here. So this, the towns kind of, you know, they have their fishing fleets, and they all live around Silver's Bay. Silver's Bay being one of those three towns. Well, Silver's Bay shows up. They've sent someone here to ask for my help turns out that several of their fishing ships have gone missing. Now, I say the lake is big enough, you can't see the other side of it. We're talking like, in the United States, like a great lake. It's a large lake. Maybe not quite that big, but it's a big lake. You, know, you, don't, you don't see the other kingdom. You can't see all sides of it. You know. And they've asked for my assistance because the concern is they don't know if it's a third-party threat that's somehow attacking the ships because there's no signs of wreckage. And there's no people, bodies showing up in the water. There's no signs of what's happening to these ships in this very deep lake. But, or they don't know if it's one of the other kingdoms is attacking them. And all three of these little cities, if you will, and minor kingdoms, they're not really a kingdom, but you know they've got their own leaders and such, are all on edge. And Silver's Bay is concerned that it may lead to violence. Because they're all kind of blaming each other because everybody's losing ships. And like he goes, be honest. He goes, I said, we were the first one to lose a ship. And he goes, my leader. He goes, just between you and me. He, he thought it was this other kingdom and caused some problems. And one of their ships went missing. So they think we didn't hurt Silver Bay ship, but Silver Bay hurt one of our ships because they thought it was, even though we weren't the ones who did that. So we thought maybe it was the third kingdom. Third kingdom's like, now we just lost a ship. So which one of you guys trying to pull us in? So there's a lot of heat going on there, and they've asked me because I'm the closest kingdom of power and. I've been working on trade deals with all three of them because he goes, they're not far from my land and I'd like to kind of annex them or potentially open trade because, you know, I want the fish too. Um, and they've asked me to come up there and do that. The problem is I'm in the middle of this. I got married two days ago. I have a whole mess of leaders of different kingdoms here that are literally negotiating different terms and working out treaties and such. And the people that I trust, small as decent work, are involved in all of those, depending on who's chatting with who. And I really can't spare anyone. 
but I know that I can trust you. Um, not only can I trust you, I know that you leaving, everybody here is going to view that as a neutral thing. Your friends, everybody, you're going to go up to help me. That makes me look good. I'll be honest, but at the same time, um, I would take in as a personal favor if you wouldn't mind looking into this for me. Um, you will be going as, of course, yourselves, but with the authority um, to act on my stead. Because I trust you guys enough that if you get out there and there's a problem and you need to say, okay, Fire Moon's army will come here and take care of this, because that's kind of what you're wielding in the back pocket here. You all three need to calm down and work this out. Or he's just going to come in and take over all three of you and settle it his way. You don't want that. You know, I'm giving you that type of authority to speak on my behalf. So I'm basically dubbing you temporary ambassadors, if you will. If you would mind doing this, I would be greatly appreciative. And of course, he's already, even before this conversation, said he's going to do everything to help them figure out what they're looking for and where they're looking to do and things of that nature and, and help with the, the artifact weapons. So they know that he's going to help any way he can. And they're like, yeah, why not? You know, we're having a good time here, but we've had a good time. Darsh is itching to hit something. Uh, so, you know, why not, right? So, yeah, we, we'd be happy to do that for you. It's a few days from here, travel, uh, you know, casually. We'll head back with Silver's Bay representative and the few people he has with him. You know, he didn't come up here by himself. He got four or five people. He goes, we'll go back with the kind of pomp and ceremony of we are here representing Fire Moon uh, to try to figure out what's going on and either calm them all down and see if I can step in and figure out, or we, the characters, can step in and figure out what's actually happening. He goes, because if there is a problem where one of these kingdoms is being harsh, I may have to come in and kind of slap them back into place. Or, if it's not them, it's something third party, like my brother, because he always worries everything's his brother. I may need to come in there and deal with that, so if you wouldn't mind. So they spend that night there, you know, uh, Fire Moon sees to any supplies they need, you know, all the regular stuff, food, drinks, a barrel of pickled fish. Never go anywhere without a barrel of pickled fish in your chest of holding. Remember that. You never know how often a barrel of pickled fish can come in. The three things I recommend every character get, if you can carry it, is a barrel of pickled fish, hammer and pittance, which, if you know what that is, it's the long nails that you use for mountain climbing, and chalk. Those are the three most important things that any adventurer could ever have. The, pickle, the, the pickled fish, if you can carry it. Chalk, because every dungeon master loves to make mazes and dungeons and put you in places. Chalk is great for marking where you've been. And a hammer and pitten, even if you're not mountain climbing, it is overwhelmingly helpful to take one of them huge metal spikes, stick it in the ground behind a door, and hammer that down, and people are not pushing that door open. Or using it to hold the door open. It is very useful in those situations, and myself and my players have used them that way many times. Just a, if you play D&D, those are the things I recommend you always get. No matter what class you are. Hammer and pittance. Even a wizard can nail, can use a hammer and a nail, you know? All right. They're given all the supplies they need. They are, after all, representing farming. They don't have to pay any of their own money. They're provided. They already had horses, but they're riding Arduel's horses. Because remember, they, they brought a boat over, so they didn't bring their horses. So they, uh, they've got a flying carpet, but they're hanging out with the Silver's Bay people, so they can't all fit on the carpet. So Fire Moon provides them horses, and they travel up to Silver's Bay, which of the lake is the closest one to Fire Moon, and it's kind of on the south 
western side of the lake, which is where they're going, because they're going northeast. That's where they're going to hit it. So they travel up there, and they get to Silver's Bay, where they speak to the mayor of Silver's Bay. All three of these towns were on the edge of a lake on the worlds that they lived on before the merge. All three of them were from different worlds. All three of them came out of the merge living next to a new lake with these silverfish that none of them had ever seen before, but very quickly learned that they are incredibly delicious. The bones can be used for certain things, but the scales specifically are very, very tough, but they're very, very uh, like rainbow coloring, like a silvery rainbow reflecting in the light. So I need to make really good um, decorations and jewelry and such, but can even be used in some layers of, of armor, not like as armor, it's not like you walk around fish scale armor, but underneath of like a leather armor or cloth armor can add an extra level of protection that's very, very light and airy, like a chain mail, but not as heavy. Um, so the characters at some point do look into getting some fish scale chain mail, which is, I gave it the same armor rating as chain mail, but it has to be custom made for you. Um, and so they they do work on some of that while they're here. They see if they can get that. Darsh is the only one that doesn't. Darsh does not like chain mail or anything like chain mail. You do not want to wear that many linking hooky things when your body's covered in hair. That's just uncomfortable. I don't know. Anytime I see a minotaur in chain mail, I'm like, what are you thinking? The snagging and pulling has to be horrendous all of the time. I'm just saying. So the mayor explains what they're going on. He says that the other two kingdoms, just in the last few days, while well, their uh, delegation had gone to Fire Moon, it's, it's escalated, and there have been a few minor skirmishes, mostly not of the town's militias, but of just people who live along the lake and such. Because some of the boats that are going missing are just family boats. Like, I'm a fisherman going out on his own boat for the day. That's what a lot of the people here, that all the way along the lake, I mean, not touching each other, but throughout the lake's edge... Um, except for in the north um, western corner where it's a bit mountainous along the edge of the lake. And it's kind of where there's little waterfall streams come down there. Um, that's the only section where you really can't live just because of the build, um, the, the, the terrain. But all the rest around it, they're like small, even these three towns, just little tiny villages or hamlets of four or five houses and such. Um, and even though they have farming and all the regular stuff around there as well, there's a lot of people who fish. So throughout the day, you can get on the boat, you'll... You're out in the lake, you'll come across multiple other ships flying the flag of one of the three towns. And there's been some minor stuff, and you know, no one's been seriously injured yet, but um, this mayor says, you know, if someone ends up dying in one of these, this could escalate very, very quickly. So they ask some basic questions. How long has this been going on? When did it start? And very intelligently... They asked very quickly, in what section of the lake are these boats going missing? And he's like, well, primarily in the middle. Uh, like, it's literally centrally located, you know, to the point that people are concerned they're staying more to the edges uh, where you still find the silverfish. But the silverfish, and I say the silverfish, I, I need to stress that some of these things are like catfish size. Like, they're, they're big fish. So the scales can be like dollar coins or gold coins size scales. You know, they go large along the banks and stuff. You can get small ones. And the small ones taste better, but the large ones have better scales. And the scales are worth a lot of money. Even the large ones taste good, 
but the younger ones are tasting mwah, delicious, phenomenal. So a lot of people are having to fish around the edges because now people are concerned with going into the deeper water. And because it's such a, de- a deep lake, no one's, you know, swam to the bottom of it. It's that deep. If a ship is sunk out there, because, you know, even in a storm, a ship can disappear anyways. There's no way to go down and look for it, you know. You could try to use magical stuff, but there's no big lot of wizards living around here. There's not, you know, they don't really have the money to send to a mage tower and pay someone to come down here and cast water breathing and go down and look. I mean, that's never been that important. And right now, it's about to go to blows, so that's not getting anywhere close to that. So, the heroes are like, okay, centrally. Well, right off the bat, we're going to need a boat. Because we definitely want to go out there ourselves. We're also going to want to go around the, the, and we're going to want to talk to the other two towns. Because even before we do any serious investigating, we need to make sure this doesn't come to blows. And we let everybody know we're here as a neutral party investigating it for Fire Moon. Because Fire Moon has a lot of military. These people do not want to make him mad. They all want to trade with Fire Moon. He's the biggest city... He's really the only city in the area. So for him to trade, for them to trade, even to Arduel or Paxiwal, selling to Firemoon so he can then be the, sell them to wherever he wants, they want that business. So no, none, of the, none of the towns are going to screw with their, with their Firemoon. So that's exactly what happens. They go around and talk to the mayor or counselor or chancellor or whatever they use at that town. Because so I had a different name for each one. When I had a chancellor... One had the high cleric or something like that. He wasn't really a cleric. And then one was like the mayor. They go to each town and they're like, hey, we're here from Fireman. We need you guys to cool the aggression. We're here as a neutral party. We're going to investigate this. We're going to find out what's going on. And if there is an issue, we'll report it to Firemoon. He will deal with it. But we're going to be looking into it here. So while we're investigating this... We need all of you to calm your aggressions. Because if you don't, we're going to assume you're the number one cause of the problem here. And all I'm like, well, we're not. Then like, then you'll have no problem keeping your people in check for a few days while we look into everything. And they're all like, of course, yes, we understand. All of them offering whatever you need, a boat to this or that. And like, we appreciate it. We have a boat. We've made arrangements with Silver's Bay, which makes everybody a little nervous. Like, we were there first. They sent for us. We've got a boat through Silver's Bay. We're going to look into this. Over the next few days, they investigate, you know, D&D stuff. They're investigating, cast magic, uh, detect magic. They don't find anything in the center of the lake. But one thing that they keep coming across, and I'm I'm breezing over some of the minor steps because it was a mystery kind of thing that they were doing here in investigation at first. Every so often, they would say, they would run into someone who say that this, 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 that, this happened, this, that. Then there was the hermit up by the hill. And then this, this, that. that. And everybody keeps referencing, well, who's this hermit? And they're like, yeah, you know, when the when the boat left that day, we noticed there was the, the, the hermit. And they're like, well, who's the hermit? And it's like, well, the hermit is this guy. Or it's two guys. I believe it's a, either brothers or father and son. And they live right on the edge of, like, the upper north side where um, you're really getting to the point where you can't, live much further. You really can't fish there. It's just too rocky and mountainous and such. A lot of rocks coming up out of the water as well, so it would be hard to move your boats in and out. And they don't have a boat, but they do fish on the shore and they just seem to be living there. Um, they've come into uh, one of the towns, the northern town. Look, They've come in there once or twice over the past year just to buy some supplies, but they keep themselves relatively you know, cowled up. They're not very friendly. 
to the point they never spend the night there they get out quick but anybody who comes near their land they are aggressive you know what i mean like weapons drawn stay away from our land if you come any further we're going to attack you blah, blah blah the mayor of that town had gone and checked on it they had met with him and said these are our land we we understand that you're the kingdom and such. You want taxes, that's fine. But we don't want anyone trespassing. We want to be here by ourselves. They name some religious reason. But because of that, we are hermits. We live solitude. We don't want anyone here. Anyone comes on our land, we're going to attack them. But we'll still follow the laws. We're not going to, you know, as long as they're not on our land, we're good. Upon hearing this pop up several times, they say, you saw the hermit. Did you see the hermits? And each time it's like, no, no, we only just saw one of them. Each time. Well, can you tell which one's which? Like, no, not really, because they always dressed up. One's a little bit thinner than the other, but I really, that day, didn't pay attention to which one it is. So they're like, okay, we need to talk to these hermits. And they travel that way. Again, they got their horses. And as they're approaching their beginning of their land, they get off their horses and start walking normally. And up ahead in the distance, they can, as they can see a small sham of a house. It's just a little tiny shack thing that's kind of built there, mostly out of stone and dirt and whatever. Some smoke coming out of the chimney. And they hear, like, whistling, but they don't really see anybody. So they're coming up quietly and carefully because they know they're technically trespassing, but they're, you know, they're powerful. They're not worried about some hermit dude and his brother or son or nephew or whatever it is. They come around and the. Suddenly a guy comes, his hood back, just a regular looking guy, guy probably in about mid to late 40s, comes around the the thing and sees them and just goes white as a ghost, like eyes in fear and screams and stumbling for his weapon, turns and tries to flee and yet pull his sword at the same time to the point that he trips and he's trying to like run and they're like, okay, not sure why, but they go, hey, hello, what's going on? And the, the guy's like hiding behind the house or behind a tree and such. And they look and Artemis steps forward first. Mercy right beside her, just, you know, protection. But Artemis walks out, identifies herself as a cleric of healing and that they've been sent by this village. They're investigating what's going on with the missing ships and they've just come to talk to him and ask some questions. Takes the guy a little bit of coaxing. But the guy finally puts his sword away and comes out. And the whole time, his eyes are staring at Darsh. But as he gets closer to them, because again, he's a little ways off. As he gets closer, he starts to calm down a little bit. The more he sees of Darsh, he's like, okay. All right, okay, yeah, okay. Um, you know, we don't like to visit, okay. What, what do you want? And he doesn't ever take his eyes off Darsh. Darsh knows that they all notice this. And by the way, Tobias is with them. I should have mentioned that, I apologize. Tobias, he traveled with them up to Silver's Bay. Because, you know, he was there, their friend, and every so often the party doesn't have a wizard, that's when Tobias slides in. Tobias is their, is their NPC uh, that they can pull in every so often for an adventure when a mage may be needed. So, uh, they go in and they, they ask some basic questions, and he's really kind of not wanting to talk at first. And they're like, we were told that there's two of you here, where's the other guy? And you can see the guy pull up, and he, he almost like he's going to cry. Like he's just upset. And the guy has a real accent to him. Um, a very, for lack of a better word, piratey sounding accent. Okay, that's, yeah. You know, oh, you can tell you my story. You know, it's that kind of a thing. You know, it's like 
Obviously not my Apache. He's got no peg leg. But that's just kind of the way he talks. He sounds very different than anyone else who lives in any of the towns. It's clear he was not from here originally. But with the merge, that doesn't mean anything. And nobody's from anywhere originally. And he explains, at first he's like, uh, he doesn't know what's going on. But very quickly you can tell by the uneasy glances and the shifty nature that he knows something. They're not fools. And so, at, you know, at this point, Darsh uh, decides to uh, question, and Darsh quickly steps forward, without yelling, but it's like, it's like, you know something, you know, gets ripped, and, say, and the guy stumbles back again and falls down and pulls his hand up in defense. And Darsh is like, I, I don't want to cause any problems, but I need to know what you know. People's lives are in danger. People are missing. And the guy said, you know, finally comes through and he says that there's a demon that lives in the lake. Like, what do you mean there's a demon? He goes, it's a sea beast, it's a demon of some kind and it's killing it's killing people and it's all my fault. And they're like, explain. <laughs> what do you mean it's your fault? Did you summon the demon? He goes, no, it wasn't I who summoned the demon. And that's when he tells his story. And I think I got his name here. His name's Gullen. Or Cullen, sorry. Cullen. And uh, he says, Cullen, he goes, he was, a, he was a sailor just like his father and his father before him. Um, but times got tough and I turned to a life of piracy. You know, I'm, I'm nowhere near here. He goes, I'm, I'm not proud of it, but, you know, times were tough. And uh, I fell in with a, a lot of pirates and sailed the seas and with them. And, you know, things were good for a long time. You know, always wanted by legitimate kingdoms and things and navies searching for their ship. But overall, you know, life was good. We had plenty of wine and wenches and all this that pirates talk about. And I normally when I'm playing, I talk in the accents, but I'm not going to not going to make you guys hear that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that to you. When I'm, when I'm doing NPCs, I try to do different voices and accents for them. But uh, he proceeds to tell his story, and he's like, uh, after years of being on the sea, and he had a, a wife and kids on an island or something somewhere. He had a big family. You know, he stopped by every few months and gave money and coins. And, and he, uh, he said, then one day there was a new ship sailing the seas. A large ship. The ship was a red color, like a, almost like blood. It was large, it was fast. And it started preying on the different kingdoms and such that bordered the ocean of their world that they were on. And there never was anyone left alive. It was much more brutal. You know, there was no picking to the point that they would even pillage other pirates. The ship was just going around terrorizing. And, and any ships that were sent out to get it never returned, kind of a thing. It was one day, he goes, sailing on our ship, we were set upon by the blood vessel. Blood vessel. Didn't mean that, just thought about that. That's funny. Blood vessel. Uh, Blood-colored vessel, we'll say that. Um, and it, it, we couldn't escape it, and it overtake us. And a battle ensued, but it didn't take long, and our ship was taken Most of my crew was... I was He wasn't the head pirate. He was just a crewman. But most of the crew were, were slain. And only a few of us survived. And we were given a choice. We could serve on that crew 
will be thrown into the sea. He's like, I'm not an idiot. He's like, I didn't want to die, so yeah, I signed on. And Captain Chin, what's his name? Um, he goes, if there was ever a man born with a black heart, it was Captain Chin. Soulless man who spoke in a language we didn't know most of the time. He spoke in language they, they didn't understand, as well as the common tongue. Not just a not just the pirate captain himself, but a practicer of the dark arts. It didn't take much to piss him off. You know, one day you're there, the next day you're being strung out or tortured or thrown overboard. He said, I, I served under him for three years. And by the end of that three years, I was one of the longest people that had been that managed to stay by just staying out of his way and doing what I was told. Um, had survived that long. Most of the people that were there before me were gone by this point. Either lost in battles or thrown away. Sometimes people would just go gone in the middle of the night. You, you wake up and you're like, oh, we're missing a crewman again. And we'd attack a ship and take some more on. People would just go away. No signs of what happened to them. We didn't cross Captain Chen or his first mate. This is where the fun part comes in. And I uh, said you won't talk in the accent and then do. It's great and shows how much you love. <laughs> I didn't realize I'd slipped into it. <laughs> Usually it's much more. It's like, and let me tell you a tale. I was but a lad when this happened. And it was, you know, that kind of a thing. I get into it a lot more. Um, but it was, uh, he goes, his first mate was an all-black minotaur named Bacchus. And he said, who also had a busted horn. And when Darsh came walking up, he goes, it was like Bacchus from the grave. I thought he, they'd finally come for me. He goes, you, 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 now I'm up close. I see you're not him. You're definitely younger than Bacchus. Bacchus had way more scars and stuff all over him. Darsh has got a few respectable scars. He's a warrior, of course. But, you know, he wasn't all scarred up like Bacchus was. Bacchus had a hook arm, too. He had like a hook on one end. It was like a trident-looking thing. But, but two forks, not three. So it wasn't a trident. I guess that'd be a bident. Yeah, we'll go with that. So he has like big old barbecue fork on the end of his hand. And uh, he's like, you didn't cross either. And Bacchus was just as savage as the captain. The only person that didn't seem to completely fear the captain, but clearly respected the captain and didn't give him no shit either. Well, as this cycle continues, we had captured a ship. And on that ship, several men, again, were brought on and accepted the crew. And, they, and, and one of them was a young lad named Tommy. Tommy was probably no more than 16 years old. was a cabin boy on the ship that he was on, but he survived into the battle. They found him knocked unconscious during the battle, and they drug him aboard, and he lived. And everybody liked Tommy. Like, Tommy was a good kid. Like, he, even in this horrible situation, and in fear of the captain in this situation, yeah, he had a, had an angelic voice and would sing for us and such, and uh, always had a smile and things. And Tommy was a good kid, and we everybody liked Tommy. He goes, but from the beginning, the captain didn't. He gave Tommy the worst jobs and, you know, slip up once, give him the lash. And, you know, but no matter what happened, didn't quite break Tommy. And uh, kind of came in, Tommy kind of came the symbol of the crew at that point. Not like, you know, more like, a, almost like a mascot. Like, hey, what's up, Tommy? You know, they cheered up and they would, they would do their thing. Well, one night, there was, you know, a scream that woke 
woke up a lot of the crewmen. They come running over. There were already some that were already awake that were running the ship at night. You just don't all go to bed at the same time. And this guy, he goes, I was one of the ones aboard. And I heard this scream. Immediately drew my weapon, as did the men with me. And we went charging in. And we found the captain there. And he'd run Tommy through. We don't know why. He was just standing there with his blade through his chest. Blood all over the... All up and down the captain's arm. And just like he hacked in there. And... I was kind of the breaking point. Several of the men with me just drew their weapons and kept going. And attacked the captain. And I found myself doing the same. And then more men came up. Some of them saw what was going on and they joined in. Some tried to stop it. And suddenly it was a mutiny. Bacchus arose from the ship and tried to try to quell it, swinging his mighty two-handed sword. But they were just, at that point, they had grown into a fever. It was the kind of like the dam broke and people just attacked. And both the first mate, several of the men that defended him, and the captain were butchered. And oddly enough, the captain didn't really fight back. He just cursed us the whole time. He goes, and that's where the problem came. Because he did exactly curse us. Every damn one of us. Swore that mutiny would... We'd be hunted for our mutinous behavior. And that killing him was not the end. We'd all feel pain and sorrow and loss. And all the... I had a, I had a little poem that I'd written out. or Not a poem, but a phrase. I apologize. I couldn't find that. But... Had a, a curse that was yelled at them. Basically, it's like... It's like... Uh, for your mutinous behavior, you'll lose everything you care about as well. We didn't think much of it. Through the captain, the first mates chopped up bodies overboard and the people that were that such and decided to try to, you know, the conversation was, well, do we continue pirating? There's a lot of people afraid of this boat now. Pretty popular pirates. Some people like, we just want to get off this ship. So it was determined that those who wanted to go would leave at the next port we take on whoever we wanted, the people who wanted to stay. Continue parting as if the captain was still there. Keep that fear going, but without them having to feel it. Let everybody else feel it. And so, I had, he goes, I was torn. Didn't know what I was going to do. But we started heading towards the closest port. And that night I began to hear the screams. And again, charging, I was in bed that time, I came charging aboard, up aboard and there he was, the captain's gruesome, just floating along, slashing and killing everyone close to him. He was glowing with like a reddish aura all over him and he just literally using his hands to rip throats and the other hand was a sword. And laughing. Repeating the curse that he said and many people jumped into the water. I and my friend Mort, he had a friend named Mort. I don't know why Mort, <laughs> Gauntlet or something. Was, I, me and me mate Mort, jumped in one of the rowboats and cut the ropes. Whoom! Dropped straight down and hit the water harsh, but enough, but enough that we didn't sink. Began rowing away as quickly. A few of the others we managed to grab on and pull in as well. As we sailed away, the seven of us rowing away from the boat as fast as we could, we heard just the screams finally die out, and then laughter. 
And then the boat turned and started heading home. So this time, the carers go, what do you mean home? Well, there's these islands that the captain used to dock at, if you will. A group of four of them, but it was the southern one that he, was the li- he liked the most, the largest. They were all within sight of each other, pretty close. But the water was deep around them, and it was kind of treacherous and quite a distance from any land to get there. It was kind of where we would post up. We had shacks there, live on the shore kind of stuff, the fruit, water. That's where the captain kind of made his little base of operations when we were on the ship. And the ship just turned towards that. He goes, and we just rode for our lives. Any moment waiting for the captain, the ship to just come back and see, but it never did. So we all managed to make it home. We got back to our families who hadn't seen us in years, thought we were dead by this point. Most of us swore off the sea, never never set foot in a boat again. Because we knew he was still out there. Well, over the next year, the curse started to come true. Accidents started happening around us. People that we knew, people that we loved, family members, friends, associates, business partners, employers, employees. Strange accidents. People were dying painful and grisly ways. By the end of the first year, my wife was dead, as were both my daughters. All that was left was me and my son. All this is pre-merge, I should clarify. And the worst part was that no matter where I was, what I was doing I always knew exactly which direction those islands were and if I looked I could hear laughter I could always knew where those islands were I could feel it pulling me back finally most of us stopped being near people we kind of went, got away from each other because everybody we knew was dying but soon I started hearing reports that the others had died dying off and without really seeking out people and asking, drawing attention to myself, I didn't know if I was the only one left. So my boy and I decided to flee. Go further inland, get further away from the water. By this point, we were already a ways away from it, but we need to go further. And they left that city. That night, the merge happened. And they found themselves waking up on the shore of water. They've been trying to get away from the water, and they wake up on the shore of water. Not sure what's happening. They were near a small, there was another small town. They went in there, and people didn't know what was going on as well. And he goes, oh, hello, Christina. Thank you for coming by. And uh, he goes, and the worst part was, even in that village, if I turned and looked at the water, I knew exactly where those islands were, and I could still hear that laughter. So we came here, and after a while of loneliness, I started to make friends with some of my neighbors. Maybe trade some goods. My boy can whittle, and he makes toys, and he sold them to the other kids and such. Everybody we've dealt with, the boats that they've been on have gone missing. Those are the boats that are gone. People from that we've dealt with in any way whatsoever. He goes, and then just a couple nights ago, 
I heard a scream. Loud noise. Huge splash. Woke from my bed with my sword. Ran out. And I could see a huge silhouette. Lumpy and stuff. In the water. Because it's foggy. It was nighttime. Starlight. But still pretty bright. Could make Whatever it was was large. And I saw glowing. Two glowing eyes. And I heard my boy scream. And then they went under the water. He's all I have left. He's all I had left in the world. And now that he's gone, claimed by this whatever demons in the water, I'm the last remaining crewman of the ship. And the captain will be coming for me next. So that was the tale that they heard. And they're like, well, we don't know how much we can really believe of that, but okay. And they said, instead of a whim, Darsh goes, where are the islands now? And without hesitation, the guy turned and he basically was like 253 miles, 300, this by this, by this, by this. And he just pointed a direction. He goes, that far. No matter where I'm at, what I'm doing, that's where it is. Or they are, because it's four islands. Because I haven't seen my boy's body. I you know, I'm assuming he's drowned out there with everyone else. So when I saw you coming, I was like, ah, the captain sent the first mate. Bacchus is here for me. It's finally all over. Turned out not to be, turned out to be you. But it doesn't matter. I've talked to you now. We've had a conversation. I don't know if that's enough. You could be the next to go. I don't know. We're not friends. But I know you now. Sometimes that's all it seems that's enough. So I apologize if I've spread the curse to you and you're next to be claimed by this. I swear I try to stay away from everybody. So. Characters are like, okay, well, I'm not sure exactly what's going on here, but if there's a creature in the water, we got to find it. The one thing that they did learn throughout their investigation is that every ship that's gone missing has been either early in the morning or late at night. Nothing happens in the middle of the day when it's bright and sun. If people get out early in the morning, that's the good fishing. People late at night, if you ever fished early morning, late night, that's usually the best time. So, historically, that's what they were doing. So they decide that the uh, that night, they're going to do the one thing that Artemis has dreaded this entire time. They're getting out! The flying carpet. And they're like, we're going to sail above the water. See if we can find anything. And they decide to start looking in that rocky area nobody can live first. Because, you know, that's what you'd think, right? Flying over it, they don't really see anything. But what they do see, as the night's going down, is a small ship. Booking it back to Silver's Bay. It's got the banner of Silver's Bay flag. It's trying to get back. Something held them up. Maybe they found some good fishing. They're trying to get it done. But now they're heading back. And they're like, well, let's see if we can catch up to the boat. Hitch a ride back. Because the carpet's not fast. It's stable. But it's not fast. It's faster than walking. Probably even faster than horse riding. But not as fast as a boat. So they're, they're like, see if we can catch up to the boat. But the boat's really fast. It's almost out of view. Before the thing gets attacked. Because, you know, this is fantasy. And it has to happen when they're there. Or else they don't get clues, right? So... 
the ship is suddenly being attacked. You hear people screaming. It's barely in the distance, and the light's down low enough that they can hardly see. Lots of starlight, so infravision's not that good, because infravision will be messed up by good lighting. The only one who can see decently is Mercy, with her little band of things. But she also has the weakest eyes of everybody, because everybody else has more advanced vision. Even Darsh. Darsh has the lowest, Dandy the second lowest, but Artemis' vision is awesome. She's not wearing the tiara. So Mercy, all she can see is what looks like, ready for it, you all expected it, big tentacles coming up, wrapping around the ship, people trying to stab at it, and starts pulling them down. Well, in their adventures, um, Darsh had found a ring of water breathing. It was the one thing that he, I'm sorry, Dandy had a ring of water breathing. It's the one ring that she had. Because, you know, rings, D&D, very common. Uh, D&D rules normally will state that you can only have one magic ring on a hand. If you have more than one magic ring on the hand, they cancel each other out. It's to keep people from walking around with handfuls of rings just doing everything. So, um, that's one of the ones she was wearing. On the other hand, was a ring of protection. Artemis, at this point, had three or four magic rings in a pouch. And she would pull out the ring that she needed at the time. She actually became a, quite a collector of magical rings over the years. She ended up getting a large collection of them. Uh, Mercy has the ring of central teleportation. And she has her summon her morning star ring. Is it a kraken? It's not exactly a kraken. No. It's actually called a sea demon. Oddly enough, a daemon. D-A-E-M-O-N. Uh, you can find it in the monster manual. It's kind of like a mixture between a kraken and and a uh, large sh- uh, squid? Jellyfish? No, jellyfish is the word I'm looking for. It's like a mixture between the two, but it's it's actually evil. It has some intelligence to it. It's not just an animal. Um, and they can be different sizes, but they're big. It's not really a demon, but it's called a sea demon. Um, Neon says, I had a DM that played with House Rule that it was a standard action to swap ring effects so swapping them in combat was a bad idea. That is correct. It's the same way. When you take a ring off, if it had any type of... This is how I play mine. House rules. I guess it's time to get into the D&D side of it. House rules. If you have a ring and it's giving any type of an effect, it disappears the moment that you take it off. If you put another ring on that gives an immediate effect, like a ring of protection, feather falling, things of that nature. If you've taken a magic ring on, then it's 1d4 rounds before the new ring kicks in. With some exceptions. If it's any type of artifact ring, um, an artifact ring, just because by its nature being more powerful, can have its own different rules, and that's something that I would, when I create them, I would put in there. If it's a ring that has a chosen effect, something that I can shoot a fireball. That can still work immediately because it's not a, a, something that's affecting you as, as a whole. Feather fall, water breathing, free action, feather, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, that could take a couple rounds to kick in. But if it's a this, shoot a fireball, I can do that. But it, was, it does count as one action or one attack to do that in combat to swap them out. Um, so if you're like, I want to switch rings... I'm like, okay, do that. Um, If it's a regular bag of rings, the more rings you have, the longer it takes for you to switch rings. Like, I want to pull a ring out. Okay, how many rings you got in there? Eight? It's going to take you two actions to find the one you're looking for. You know, okay, this is the one I want. You know, so the more rings she got, 
we found a way around that a little bit later because she wanted one. We'll, we'll, we'll actually get to that one point and I'll talk about it. But yeah, I have a whole lot of house rules. Including how rounds and actions and how time works. I needed a standard. And most D&D doesn't really give a good rule on that. Up to the point that I played. The new stuff may be better. But I have a lot of house rules that determine special abilities and how things work, how time works, how actions work. Um, and professions and specializations. A lot of that stuff I have my own house rules as well. I've hodgepodge from a lot of different types. I've played a lot of other types of role-playing games besides just Dungeons & Dragons. To be honest with you, one of the best ones ever. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles role-playing. Phenomenal game. You do not have to be a turtle, but it's a very cool game. To be discussed another time. I have the books. They're over here. Um, so anyways, me and Tap. Dandy has not a ring of protection. She has a ring. Everybody is wearing their ring of central teleportation. Because they want to be able to pop back in the emergency. If you're underwater and you're drowning, you could port back home. Remember, you can only do that once per month. Once per 30-day cycle can you use your ring of central teleportation. It takes that long to recharge. So, you can take it off. Put it in your pouch and wear a different ring for 30 days. If you know you can't use it anyways, why would you not, right? It doesn't have to be on you to recharge. Taking it off and on doesn't help. Nobody can use it again for 30 days. Um, so, a lot of times they would take that off and put it back on after 30 days and then wear it all the time in case they fell in a, were drowning and they can port back home. They are abandoning their people, but at least they don't die. That happened one time in an adventure in the future. So, they go down and they start trying to attack as well. And Dandy has water breathing. So she actually jumps in the water at one point uh, because everybody got knocked off of the carpet. There's a point where a tentacle came up and upended the carpet. Everybody fell in the water. They can all relatively swim, but, you know, Artemis has got these big old robes on. Darsh, being a mentor, is very strong, can swim really well because they're a seafaring race. But they are carrying weapons and all that kind of stuff. And uh, Mercy, of course, luckily of everybody, she drops her, her weapon, ping, pops it back in her hand, starts hitting again. Gets knocked away, ping, back in her hand, starts hitting again. So that was going on. Um, but Dandy was actually underwater just going at the thing because she didn't care. He just stabbed him away. Or hoop hack and such underwater because she didn't have free action so she can't swing or shoot something but she could stab underwater the ship is mostly destroyed but they managed to fight the thing off a little bit as well as there's some help from the sailors on the ship the ship is horribly broken but some have survived this is the first time someone survived to see this so they're like oh we've got to get home and say there's a giant creature in the water and Dandy being underwater even though it's relatively dark the thing does have glowing eyes and she sees the direction that it immediately shoots off. And it's back towards that rocky section of the lake. Of course it is. I, I described that. You should all know it's there by this point. I'm a dungeon master, but dungeon masters, are, you can figure out the, the big clues. <laughs> so, so they're like, okay, that's where it is. So they get their rug back up, and it's floating, and they grab it, and they get back on there, and whoosh, they start heading that direction. So when they get over to it, they're like, okay, there's got to be some type of underwater cave. I didn't give many hints. They came up with that. Yes, of course, that's correct. So, like, we have to figure out a way to go down there. So they got a whole bunch of rope out, and Dandy went in swimming. Because, again, she can breathe underwater, right? So she's going to go in as careful. And she's the sneaky one. It makes sense. They got a rope around her. So if she tugs it, they can start pulling, like, really fast. Darsh has got a grip on that. 
Darsh start pulling that back, it's, it's going to go fast. So she goes down searching, and sure enough, she finds an entrance. And it's deep enough that it's a struggle for everyone to get there, but not too deep to swim. You know, everybody has to roll to see if they make it, but they have a pretty good chance of succeeding. There always needs to be that element of potential failure, failure, you know. Luckily, everybody passed the rolls, but I was prepared that if somebody didn't, they had to turn around and go back because they freaked out or they couldn't breathe far enough, or whatever the case is, which meant they were down a person in the middle of whatever was going to happen next. They all successfully made it, and there's an underwater cave. It's a big pool. They get in there, and sure enough, there's some treasure and such. Little bits of that piled in there as well. Again, the demon collects those things. It's not really a demon. Again, i got to stress that. It's not like from another plane of evil and that. That's just its name. An intelligent, evil, squid, jellyfish creature mixture. And they go in, and it's not there at this point. And they get in there, and they're like, okay, well, maybe we can set up a trap. You know, set up an ambush for when it comes back. Clearly it comes back, and they can see corpses, carcasses of half-eaten cows or big fish, like the, the silverfish, like the big ones, just pieces of them, and it's really stinky in there. Um, and as they're like, okay, let's see if we can set up some type of ambush thing for when it comes back, we can try to catch it. And at first they're like, well, maybe, Danny's like, hey, maybe we could collapse the thing and lock it in here so it can't swim away. And they're like, you idiot, we'll be locked in here and then we can't get away. <laughs> we don't want to do that. But while they're searching, they come across the sailor dude's son. Very, at this point, so hadn't eaten and drank in a few days. He's really weak. He's had to snot beat out of him. He looks like he's been tortured. Cuts all over him and such. Again, Sea Demon is intelligent. Artemis does some basic healing stuff. Doesn't use a lot because they don't know if they're going to enter, enter, but enough to stabilize him. They give him some food and water. The young man's conscious enough to say that the demon kept saying he was honoring his pact. You know why you're here? Because your father, because I'm honoring my pact. For what you'd be dead for now if it wasn't honoring my pact. Kept saying that. And it basically has led that somehow the thing is in league or made some type of an agreement with the evil captain, potentially, to do this. So sure enough, eventually the creature comes back. They have their little ambush set up. It's not as successful as they hoped, but not as horrible as it could have been. And they enter into battle. Um, and as usual in many of these situations, Darsh does a lot of the heavy lifting. Um, he has javelins, that's his thing. So again, whipping javelins and he, uh, scored a really good hit on one of the eyes very early on. Um, and at the point that it tried to get away, Dandy had their, her, their idea was to try to make nets and such to try to block it. So they, it's strong. It's big. It's going to bust through. They're just trying to slow it down if it tries to leave. So Dandy was doing that, and then after the thing went in, Dandy was underneath, and she was putting, like, they had, like, some javelins that she was putting. So as it came out, it's, like, coming through teeth that are facing in. It would hurt itself on the javelins. It was pretty good the way they did it. Some of the stuff they tried worked. Some of it didn't. We rolled for a lot of it. But they managed to do enough damage that they killed the thing. Obviously. Yeah. They're the heroes. Um, they take a bit of a beating, of course. But the uh, young dude, he's, he's out of it. He's hidden in the back. They hit him behind some stuff. Um, but he survives, and they manage to make it out. And they don't find anything else of value in there, but they do find some, like I said, limited treasure. And some of the treasure of searching it is old. Um, 
it's obviously not something that came from any of these three things. So either he found it down at the bottom of the lake, or it was some type of payment. And they don't know. Uh, but they kept some of it, because, you know, they're heroes, but they also like profit. So they, they kept some of it, and they got a couple little low-level magical things. Nothing real big in there, but they got uh, mostly potions and such like a scroll of this or whatever. Um, and the young man, they get him out. So once they get out, the first thing they do is they take the young guy to Silver's Bay, along with them on their magic carpet. They're like, this is what we found. There's this giant dead squid in a cave with a whole bunch of stuff that he stole from you guys. We've already taken our share, but we're not going to tell you about that. You should probably go down in there. Uh, you'll find the giant cor carps, uh, corpse because we left it there, you know, w as proof that it was none of you guys. And, you know, if you guys had smartened up and worked together, you might have found this sooner, you know, chiding them and such. Then they take the young guy, because by this point Artemis has healed him up some more, and they take him back to his father, who's ecstatic to have his son back. But at the same time, totally fearful, because, like, it survived this time, but what's going to happen next? You know, it was a lot of the people who, crewmen and their families, the people who died, were not near water. It wasn't that sea demon that was killing everybody. He goes, it's something, somewhere, things are coming after us. And he goes, I appreciate you saving my son's life. He's all I got left. And I cherish what little time I'll have with him. Because for all I know, he or I'll be dead by the morning. Our heroes are like, heroes. They're like, you know, we don't, we're not cool with this. Maybe we need to go down and deal with whatever is happening there. Because <clears throat> several things came up during this conversation. Here's an evil thing that, if it's out there, could be terrorizing kingdoms and such. Although they, they've not heard anything from any of Paxwall or Arduel or anything about a pirate red ship terrorizing anything. They've not heard anything about a ship. But that doesn't mean that Maybe the captain's waiting. It's been some time since the merge. Who knows what's happened there? And they're like several things. Evil, evil, ghost type kind of undead, dead, magical wizard, whatever the hell it is, has this ship, terrorized people, and it's going to kill this guy. Seems like a nice guy. We've already saved his kid once. Maybe this is something we need to look into. The second thing is, during t the telling of the tale, the amount of treasure that they had stolen and that was stored on that island. Enough to buy kingdoms, they described. I won't say that uh, our heroes weren't slightly intrigued by that as well. They're like, there's bad things there, but there's also horrendous amounts of treasure. And who doesn't want that? I mean, they're not like greedy fools, but I mean, at the same time, they're like, you know, why not? You know, you look at like someone like Artemis. She's like, can't think how much money I could donate to the church to help people. And Mercy's like, and I could help, you know, whoever. And Darcy's like, and I could be really rich. <laughs> Gendy's like, I could buy so many hoopacks. But uh, they get to talking and they're like, well, maybe we should look into this ourselves. And so... They talked to the guy, and where he woke up after the merge, he and his son, was very close to Arjuel. And they started heading north to get away from the ocean. And they're like, he's able to give them information like, this is where we were on the shore. 
This is the exact direction and how long it would have taken me to get to the island had I had a boat at that moment. And even explains around the boat there's different rocks and such and things. At least there was ahead of time. Doesn't know what the merge is. Maybe all the islands haven't come through. Maybe there's only one of them. Maybe there's all four. Maybe there's two. Maybe that's something you would want to look at. Not me. You know, I'm not going near there. If I have just whatever time, minutes, days, or hours with my son, I'm going to spend it with him. And I'll tell you what, we are leaving here and we are going more north. And I'm going to find a mountain and I'm going to live on top of it. Not near any water. If I see a puddle, I'm going to walk around it. I'm not taking any more chances. I'm going to have my boy for as long as I can have him. If you can do something, bless you. But I I know the captain. As powerful as you may be to destroy a sea demon, pales in comparison to the captain. So, they're like, hmm. Is this where the alignment of some of the characters shifted? No, nobody shifted. Um, Artemis automatically, she was she was neutral good. She wanted to help because it was the right thing to do. Because of all the people that have suffered from it, so on and so forth. She wanted to do it because it was the right thing to do. Darsh was chaotic good. Same situation. I want to help out. But at the same time, he's a businessman. He's got a family that's merchants. There's nothing wrong with making some profit there. Dandy is basically equivalent of chaotic good to true neutral. She She's not evil. She has no evil tendencies, but she does what she finds fun in the moment. You know, she's She's more likely to go just for the adventure. She, she'll take some treasure you want to give it to her. She just goes because, wow, I get to see a pirate ship with maybe like a ghost pirate. That's the coolest thing ever. I got to go see that. You know, that kind of thing. Um, and then Mercy, she's, she's also, she floats between chaotic good and neutral good. I don't put a whole lot of stock into alignment because you can be a great person and still want to make a profit. You know what I mean? You can still want to, hey, I'm a great person. I want to help charities. I'm self-sacrificing. I'd still love to have a million dollars and have a mansion. I'm not going to screw anyone over to get that. I'm not going to steal it. But if I can earn it legitimately, why not? Um, so I, I, I'm i relatively loose on alignments. If you do something that's just straight up evil, I'm going to shift you. You're going to fall from, if you're a cleric or a paladin, you're going to fall from grace. You'll fall hard and there'll be a lot of work to get back into grace again. But for the average person, as long as it's not an action that is diametrically opposed to what you are, you're like, hi, I'm a chaotic good person. I'm just going to slaughter this town and take all their money. It's not going to work. I'm going to shift your alignment at that point. But there's nothing wrong with wanting to make a little profit. And by this point, the players had discussed some goals for their characters that they wanted to achieve. That some funds would have been beneficial. I'm not going to talk about those because that was discussed outside the game. But they they believe that their characters had hopes and dreams and goals. They want to get back home. But if they can return home with wealth, why would you not? Darsh returned to his family. Hi, I'm home. Here's a fortune. Artemis returns. Hi, Temple. I'm home. I brought a fortune. Tithe. I mean, you know. They all have that kind of thing. So, wanted to touch that. But yeah, another alignment shifted, uh, really, in that moment. Uh, I don't think I can think of many situations. Okay, there's one situation where we have an alignment buffer. That's a little ways down the road. Not going to give it away. You'll know it when we get there. So, at this point, they're like, okay, cool. We know what we want to do. Oh, I forgot to say, Tobias was there through all that. And his magic spells were also what helps keep the creature from leaving the cave. I should have mentioned that, because he's been there the whole time. They're like, okay... 
we need to go do that. So what we need to do is we need to get back to RDL, find some maps and such of the area, the water, see if anyone knows anything about these supposed islands, and then get a boat and go there. And they're like, cool, so that's what we're going to do. Now, they can't use the rings of central teleportation because Tobias doesn't have one. So they go home the long way. Um, by the time they get back, well, they get back to Fire Moons first. Once they get to Fire Moon, most of the people have already left. It's been some time now. They explain to him what's been going on. He says that he'll send someone up there to, as well, some of his magical people, because uh, he's got some mages and stuff in his kingdom, to go up there and make sure there's nothing else in the lake that's a problem like that, um, and so on and so forth. Uh, he help, thanks them very much for their help. And their little bit of extra treasure. Not a lot. They got a little bit of extra treasure they gather. Because it's a D&D adventure. you got to get some loot for your adventure. They start heading home. So, we're going to move forward a little bit in time. Because they did some traveling. They go all the way back down to Arduel. Okay. They get down there. They talk to people. They find out what's going on. See if they can find islands. No one knows where these islands are. No one's seen any islands. No one's seen any type of red ship. Or know anything about a pirate. But the area that is being described, that they find, here's the coordinates and such we'd be looking for, people are like, well, that's, that's, a, chunk of that's a chunk of distance southeast of here. I don't know of anyone who's gone that far. It's pretty deep out into the water. And... The Southern Ocean is huge, right? I say that because no one's ever crossed it. They don't know what's down there. It's a huge ocean, and the farther you get out, choppier the waters and such get, the harder it is to navigate. Because if you remember, the stars don't move. Everybody's having to completely relearn navigation. And they've made great strides in that, but the further you get away from shore, the harder that can be. So it's a slow process to keep going out further and further in the water. So it's an area that they don't, no one's really can say that they've traveled there, but they also haven't seen any bad stuff. So everybody's like, hmm, I see. They then catch a ship and they head to Paxable. So they're going to go home. They're going to check on stuff. They get back there, bid Tobias a fond adieu. Because Tobias has a little bit of treasure now, and he always gets a few magic items that he can take back and investigate and learn how to reproduce and that kind of stuff. Because that's what he's for. A lot of times, he'll, his share of the treasure is some of the more boring magic items, but it's the stuff that, to him, that's awesome. He's like, oh, wow, a ring of Featherfall. I will take this, and then I can learn how to make them myself. Because um, sometimes, in, there's times where he's like, hey, remember that ring of Featherfall? Here, I got one for each of you. You know, that can be helpful. You're going where? Here, take one of these. That becomes beneficial the further on we go in the story. i got a mustache here tickling my nose like a madman. Ugh. So, this is where I mentioned, I mentioned a moment ago that people had goals. And this is where that starts. So, I mentioned before that Darsh is from a family of merchants, seafaring family, so on and so forth. Darsh wants a ship. He doesn't know how long he's going to be here. He doesn't know how long he's going to be on this world. But he wants to start trying to rebuild what he's always... When he was a young man, his dream was to take over the family business. He was going to have ships. He was going to deal with merchant stuff. That was his dream. He loves being on the ocean. Darsh wants a ship. It doesn't have to be a huge ship, but he wants a ship. And if he can 
when they get all this sorted up, if they get to go home and he can take a ship, even better. Whatever he's worked out at that point, he can take the whole ship back. Why not even better sliding back into his home world with a ship full of treasure, loot, or goods that he's built up over however long they're here. So Darsh wanted to buy a ship. Because he said this would be the perfect opportunity to have his own ship since they keep booking it back and forth to Arduel and Thorman and Arduel and Thorman. And eventually they're probably going to get to the Minotaur Kingdom. Having a ship at their own disposal might not be a bad thing. Ships aren't cheap, but they've got money. So, as they return to Paxiwal, Darsh, talking with his friends, makes that known. This is what they want to do. And he looks, and he starts shopping around. You know, because you know, find a ship that somebody's trying to sell, and he finds one. It takes him a few days to a week to... Because by this point, it's taken him a month to get back from Silver's Bay and all the stuff they were doing there. And coming from Arduel back over. But they uh, he goes ahead and he finally finds a ship. And it's not a huge ship. It's a single mast. Um, and I want to tell you, the amount of research that I did on ships and how ships work and how ship combat works in d and I've got books on that specifically over here. The amount of work I did because he technically... It was a she who plays Darsh. Because she wanted a ship, I put weeks into researching ships. So as she has crewmen on the ship, literally I have specific roles from boatswain to whatever. I, I looked up the roles of what you'd need on a ship, armsmen, and she had people hired for specific things. But Darsh buys a ship. And he begins the process of preparing it for a journey. Now, that's what he's working on. And Dandy's helping him a little bit. Because she can go around and help find stuff that they're looking to buy. Of course, Mercy and Artemis decide to go check in with the temple, right? Here's what's happened while we were gone. You know, here's what we did while we were up there. Now we're going to go look at this island. Why not? We've got nothing else to do. Unless, of course... Oh, wait, I think I remember something about this. You do? I don't remember mentioning it. Hmm. But it goes, um, you know, unless you've got a clue to what we need to do with the weapons first, and then we will set that aside. We want to help this guy and his kid. But, and the kid's like early 20s for the record. He's not a kid kid. He's his son, but, you know. He goes, I, uh, like, unless you've got something to save the world, that would take precedent. And he's, they're sitting with, uh, when they go in, they only get to talk to Sister Mara. Both Brother Bart and Brother Lycos are not, not available. And Sister Mara says, no, we, we haven't heard anything about that. But we do have some concerns. And they're like, okay. And Sister Mara tells about some of the things that have happened while they were gone. So, there have been a few notable events happen in and around Paxiwal while they were gone. Um, the first thing is this. And this is the big one. They received reports from a certain cleric living north in a small town. You may remember him. He's the one that sent them in to find the Pandora's box. 
ever since then, the church has had Templars and such. They've increased the amount of manpower, if you will, at that temple, A, to make sure he doesn't get in any more trouble, but B, to you know, keep an eye on all that. And they received reports that someone else had tried to break in to the, um, not the temple where he lives, but the temple where they got the Pandora's box out of. Um, so there's that. They find uh, that there are men dressed all in black were seen entering and leaving the tomb of Pandora, which is the name of that place. There have also been human males asking the locals um, if they know anything about the tomb of Pandora and specifically if they know of anyone who's been in there or been seen around it. This has the temple concerned. Someone is clearly looking for Pandora's box. And they went in, they came out, they couldn't find it, so now they're trying to figure out who has it. This has Brother Bart concerned. Right now, both Bart and Lycos are with the box. Two out of three of them are always with them, while the other one's here kind of running the temple. They are currently looking at moving the box to a more secure location that she won't discuss. But there is concerns that someone else is looking for the box, and that is something that they are very, very concerned about. So that's that thing that's going on. Um, that's, that's what they found at the temple. Now, Mercy and Artemis are also concerned. They tell Darsh about that. Hey, someone's been looking for that stuff. Things we need to worry about. While that's going on, because again, I say that happened. This is over several days of conversations and things going over things. During that same time period, Dandy is walking around looking. She's got a list of things that Darsh have given her to look for for the ship, try to get a good price on. When some fool haphazardly in one of the worst jobs she's ever seen. Horrendously tries to slip a note into her pocket. It's the worst thing she's ever seen. She almost calls him out right there in the middle of the street how bad of a job he did of trying to sneak that into her pocket. He might as well have had a neon sign that said, look what I did, look what I did. Very distressed. Gonna have to talk to people about this. Unacceptable. But the note does say that your presence is requested immediately in the hall. Tell no one the lives of your friends depend on it. And it's signed one eye. Which is literally just the number one in the letter I. That's what he does. <laughs> Danny's dealt with the Thieves Guild several times. She's a member in good standing. And she knows several different entrances to get into the Thieves Guild, like the underground part of it. Uh, she actually knows more entrances than they think she knows, but that's just because she's Dandy and she finds these things. Um... But she does make her way to one of the entrances. The close one to here. Uh, she goes to Benson's Butchers. <clears throat> Once inside, she's a great big hulk of a dude just hacking away at meat. Blood all over him. Smoking a cigar, whatever the case is. Looks up. She looks at him. He just waves to the back and she goes through. They know. She gets back in there and she, she uses the stairs and she's led to the place where Marcus is hanging out. The 
One eye's hanging out. Different place than last time. He moves around. He's not a fool. Him, she, she trusts. His skills are a lot better. Doesn't have a lot of faith in a lot of his employees. And she likes to bring that up regularly, talking about how horrible of a job they do. And he always gets a little bit of a smirk, like he's trying not to laugh, and makes sure that he's going to look into it and make sure they're better trained. But he, he gets a kick out of how horrible they are compared to Dandy. Um, he lets her know, says, while you were gone, there have been some issues issues that involve you and your friends and I'm wondering what kind of trouble you've brought to my door and Danny's like I'm not trouble what are you talking about the epitome of innocence and sweetness just like Draven but uh, what happened because I'm interested he pours her a drink she eats some cheese off the platter they always have a nice meal when he hangs up she always makes sure there's snacks out for Danny and uh, it said that within the last couple of weeks there have been sightings of non-guild-affiliated thieves and assassins in the area. So that's where Draven learned to be like that. Dandy taught him. We're, we're, how do you know I didn't teach her? Sweetness and innocence. Purely. Dandy and I are never the alien. But he said that uh, one of them attempted to break into a facility that he personally was overseeing and they captured the guy, but the guy killed himself before he could be taken prisoner, if you will, which he respected, but was damn irritating because he didn't get to question him or do all sorts of horrible things to get the answer he wanted. Danny's like, I can understand that. Horrible things. Yes. Cookie, cookie, cracker, cheese. And he said when they searched him, the only thing that he can say that he didn't have much on him at all, except this. He had two incredibly well-made swords, identical. And for those of you who are D&D players, they were swords plus one. Guy dual-wielded long swords plus one. They matched perfectly, they were identical to each other, and they were very well-made and had a little bit of magic on them. And the guy was incredibly skilled. He was just outnumbered. The only other thing that he had on him was a piece of parchment with a description. Dandy, at this point, sitting there cheesing, just, just shoving cheese in her mouth. She's so into the tail, listening to all this stuff. Cheeks are all puffed out, just full of cheese and crackers. And the crumbs are all falling out of her mouth. Galen tries not shakes his head and says... It was a description of you and your friends. A very well-written description. And he says, I'm going to be honest with you. While normally I wouldn't give a rat's ass about your friends, you, on the other hand, are a member in good standing. And I will not tolerate ungilded assassins in my city. I won't have it. I don't need that kind of competition. At this point, anyone caught unaffiliated with the guild doing anything even the least bit criminal, they got a kill on sight order. Basically, it's been outset. The One eye has thrown that out there. If you find anyone matching the description of the dude, find more people like him, kill on sight order. He's not playing around. Whoever's in charge of these people sending him in, he's not going to tolerate that. He's going to send a message quick. But because they were describing your friends, 
I thought you should know about that. At the same time, I don't recommend you tell them. And they're like, what? Why, why wouldn't we tell them? Why shouldn't I tell them? He goes, well, you're going to have to tell them where you got that information. And at the same time, your friends aren't as uh, skilled as you are. He's very, very uh, uh, praising of, of Dandy's skills, which she enjoys. He's, they're not as skilled as you are at maybe keeping secrets. Knowing this information might enable you to learn more than it would if they knew. Dandy's like, again, just a little bit of cheese dribbling off crackers on her, in her lips here. She's like, that could be a good idea. I could be extra sneaky. I could set a trap maybe. I like that. She gets to thinking about it. She's talking aloud for a couple minutes and he just lets her ramble. He said, the other thing he wants to let him know, there are two other things, pieces of information that he's come across that Dandy might particularly want to know. And he's like, wow, more. You're giving out a lot and not asking much. He's like, I'm not done talking yet. And she's like, there it is. <laughs> All right, tell me. He says, the second thing you need to know is that I have been approached by a group who are attempting to ally with me, potentially hire the services of the guild. At this point, I've not spoken with any in particular, the messages have come through. And I want you to know that at this point, I don't think that I'm interested, but you might be interested that the messages are not coming from humans. They are coming from Minotaur. We're looking to hire my guild's services. I believe you've had some run-ins with some folks in the Crone AR, and I thought that might be of interest to you. The Dandy's bummed out at that point. She's like, I gotta tell Darsh that news. He is not gonna be happy to hear that there's Minotaurs trying to hire assassins, because that's not very Minotaur-like. That's not honorable at all, and Darsh really doesn't like it when Minotaurs, or anybody for that matter, are not being honorable. Darsh, it's a, it's a personal irritant of his, and Dandy's not looking forward to being the bearer of that bad news. And she's like, well, thank you for that. Twofold. What's the last thing? You know, at this point, she's like, what could be worse? He said, to the north last week, there was a sighting of drow elves. And Danny's face goes blank. Tell me. And he proceeds this what information they had. It was a small group of drow elves. They were moving around. They were uh, on the outskirts of uh, Paxiwal. They were sighted by some farmers. Literally trying moving through the mountains, which is hard because rarely you uh, drow aren't easy to be seen. They're very sneaky. Those, their skills is something I, I, I respect as well, as I'm sure you do as well, as much as you may hate them. Because he knows Dandy's story about the drow elves in the Kender village from way back in the day. And he, he describes the image of what they got like, and none of them quite match the description of the particular one she's looking for, but that doesn't mean they don't work for him. And she's like, I need to know anything else that comes up about that. He goes, of course. Any information comes through concerning the drow, I will get to you immediately, regardless of where you are. This I promise. She nods her head in very seriousness, because the, the fun goes away at a dandy any time drow come up in the conversation. She's like, okay. 
Now, what is it you want? She said, he says, I'm not looking for anything right now. You're a member in good standing, and telling you these things only benefits me. There are ungilded people in here trying to cause problems, and you take care of them. That helps me out. You and your friends uh, might do way better luck with that than I have. But at the same time, you guys are getting more and more, uh, let's say, popular in the southern kingdoms. And having a member of good rank that high in the favor of nobility, well, that's a little bit uh, hard to pass up. So I want to help you succeed in every chance that I can. She just smiles and nods her head because she totally understands. You know, she likes him. She almost considers him like a buddy. But she knows he's, he'll use the hell out of her for his own gains. There's no lo lost stupidity here. Danny knows exactly what's going on. They finish their conversation and such. She finally heads back to Darsh, ups knowing he's going to be upset because she didn't have the list of stuff he sent her to get, and even more unhappy about the Minotaur. Darsh, on the other hand, while this is going on, is doing the most important job that he has. He's going to go drinking. And he goes drinking not at one bar, not at two, but several. Talking to people and drinking. Because Darsh is looking for a crew. Mercy, Artemis, Dandy... They've got no seafaring experience. But little they picked up a little bit just on the boats they've been on. Dandy would be pretty helpful out of all of it. Mercy will do what she's told, but they don't have any sea experience. He needs a trained crew. This boat he got is small, but he's still going to need at least probably 15 to 20 people. It's a, it's a big boat. It's not like a little rowboat. It's a good-sized boat. It's just not huge like some of the you know Jack Sparrow part of it. It's nothing like that big. That's a triple mast. This is a single mast. And just for the record, I should say this. Um, I don't remember the exact word, but um, Darsh names the ship. So in conversations, you know, different races have their own language. Most of these characters are speaking the common tongue. But there's Elven, there's Dwarven, there's Minotaur, and from different worlds there could be completely different versions of each of those. But the common tongue seems to be spoken in one version or another on pretty much every world they've run across. Very little have they come across people who can't speak to them at all. But, um, for no particular reason, we just discussed it, we determined that we were going to use for Minotaur German. Sounds weird, but I'm going to throw it at you. So, we looked at different words and such, and different names and things, and when it came to it, um, the young lady who was playing the character of Darsh decided that she wanted to name some of her ships. Um, she would find what the English word is and convert it into German. And when she did that, she liked the sound of a lot of those words. Um, so, I forget what the name of his first ship is, but it, it's, it's Dandelion in German. I don't know what that is. Somebody can look that up if you'd like. But basically he named it after Dandy. It's basically the Miss Dandelion was what they named the first ship. In honor of Dandy, because he loves Dandy. Uh, but that's what he named the first ship. Uh, oh, did he say first ship? Is that a hint? We'll see. But he's bumbling around the docks. So it takes him a little while. Yep, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that sounds familiar. <laughs> 
we always just called it the dandelion, but when the official name was in German. Um, but yes, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I'm going to write that down. It's the one that I... I always had a bad habit of only writing down the English version of it. But he hires a crew. Now, of course, the crew, several of them are people, right? I say that as in, I don't need to give you their name. I don't know their name. They're just crewmen one through ten. You know what I mean? Miscellaneous crew. But he does take on some named crew because these people are bringing specific skills to the ship. Barl Weathersby is, or Weatherby, I'm sorry, Weatherby is the previous captain of the ship, or the guy who's selling it to him. Um, and he agrees to come along on this first trip. Well, Darcy's in there because Darcy's going to pay him to do that to make sure that, you know, the crew, because he's familiar with the ship, he's also going to help him grab a couple people. And he recommends someone specific for a first mate. Someone that uh, Barl has dealt with several times uh, and is very, very well-skilled, uh, great at running a ship, um, and at this point currently looking for a job. And that guy's name is Dorum. A human named Dorum Marshlight. You might want to remember that name. And yes, I don't have the picture for him, but I will have the picture for Dorum next story. And several of the other names I'm about to mention. Talks with Dorm, chats him up. There's a whole role-playing thing there where he has to convince him. But Dorm agrees to come on as his first mate. Very experienced. Um, and each of these people that I list have specific skills. And can be, basically, this person could do this, this, or this. If you hire them, you can put them into one of those positions. Because Darsh had a list. I needed this, I need a first mate, I have a second mate. I need, a, I need this, I need a, a, a lookout. I need a backup lookout, because, you know, lookout's got to sleep. These are the people that Darsh hires as his named crew. So Dorm is first mate, human. Um, let's see here. The next one is Gasket Tightwrench. Gasket is a gnome navigator. Pretty well experienced, age 99. Uh, right, gnomes, that's not that old. And he is basically, uh, he's been, since the merge, he's been hardcore mapping out and doing things with the stars, and he's highly rated. Uh, but he's a little extravagant. Not everybody likes having a gnome on their ship. Darsh could care less if he can do the job. Shayla Forgun is their pilot. Basically, she's going to be steering the ship most of the time when it's not Dorum or Darsh. Uh, Shayla, 26, uh, African-American female. Uh, also has some navigation skill as well and can be a backup navigator. Uh, Jamal Forgun is her brother. Hires him as well. Older brother, Mess Stewart. Basically handles food and everything underneath. Guy loves to cook. Can turn the odd, you grab some slop off of an island and he'll turn it into a feast. Phenomenal chef. Um, that's pretty much all he does. <laughs> um, then we have Kevin McKay. That is uh, your... That's your backup navigator. I haven't got to the navigator yet. Half elf, uh, seventy six. Uh, pretty special trait. Overwhelmingly attractive. Everybody has special traits. I'm just throwing his out right now. Uh, let's see. Ba -ba 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 -ba. Who else have we got? Those are all just random people. Uh, Lothar Chagang. Lothar is a half orc. Um, he is the quartermaster. 
So, you know, if you know what a quartermaster is. And then Dorfin Sulfin is a dwarven... Uh, <laughs> he's a sea dwarf. We'll talk about him a little bit more later. He's actually going to be... Um, He's been a first mate before. He can sometimes fill in in that regard, but he's the master at arms. And then the last two big ones, Nathalian Elmhurst, who is an elven lookout. Nobody knows his age. Nobody knows really anything about him. He's just a really good lookout, and he likes to stick to himself. And the last one, Darsh doesn't hire just on the docks. He gets her from the uh, mage tower, and that is Malia the Blue. That's their smage. You may have mentioned, I mentioned in the past that a smage, let me just call them, but it's a sea mage. These are mages who specifically um, choose a lot of their spells and such based on living on the sea, living on boats. A lot of wind spells, things that would help calm seas or make seas worse. They also have some um, different combat. Fireball, flaming arrow, these are great things to shoot at other wooden ships when you're in combat, as well as ways of defending your own ship. Create water, create food, things like that that would help if you're stuck in the middle of the ocean. So almost every ship that's going to do any real traveling is going to have some kind of sea mage. And most of them are members of the uh, mage tower here in Paxawal, at least anything you get here. So a lot of times you go and the amount of money and experience you have, they'll assign someone to your ship. I need to hire a sea mage, blah, blah, blah. Doesn't mean you can't find one you like later and say, hey, I want to hire you to my ship and they sign their own contract because they pay a little bit of the money to the to the mage tower uh, organization, uh, but they also get perks from that. It's, 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 a, it's a business. It's almost like uh, being in a union, I guess would say probably the best example of that. Some of their money goes to the dues, but the mages step in if there's a problem. Um, but you can hire your own, but in this situation, he doesn't know any. They get assigned Malia the Blue. Most everybody else on the ship is human, um, but some of the, they, he does have a bit of a mixed crew, which is, of course, incredibly strange and unusual for a Minotaur ship. Because most Minotaur would never take anyone who's not a Minotaur. And most Minotaurs don't have a sea mage. Um, they are more likely to have a cleric of either the sea god or the god of war. They usually have some type of cleric that can do some type of magical stuff as well. But not so much a smage. Smage isn't what they actually, anybody there calls it. It's just what we called it as, as our group. So when I say smage, I mean this is a mage that is a sea mage specifically. And we've talked in the past how mages usually have some type of specialty. Like um, Tobias is in the research and production of magical items. That's that's what his fascination is. He can do other stuff. He can shoot a magic missile and cast a web spell, but his big deal is that he makes, researches, and figures out magical items and artifacts. So that's his specialty. Smages are handy. So, he picked these up. He actually went to several different inns and stuff. He went to the Salty Siren, the Maiden's Whisper, the Misty Wind. There's a whole bunch of sea places uh, bars and such along the next. And it takes him a week or so, at least close to a week, to, to finally fill out everything that he needs and to get everybody crew-wise as well as the supplies. Um, there are some special things that he has to have made. Specifically, he gets the captain's quarters and he had to have a new bed that he could fit in built. Um, and then there, uh, one of the rooms that would historically be used for either supplies or like you know, throw a bunk in there if you're taking on some type of passenger, is remodeled to be a decent room for Mercy, Artemis, and Dandy to share. Because um, he wants to have a room for the, the girls to have for themselves, their own private place, so that way um, Artemis can 
study your prayers when she needs to. Uh, Mercy can have a moment of solitude and a place they could try to lock Dandy in if she's driving the crew crazy. So basically they have an idea that room is remodeled for her. So we drew out the ship and designed it and all that stuff. I've got all that stuff in these binders in different places, but um, that became uh, Darsh's first ship, the Miss Dandelion. And after a little over a week, a week and a half of supplies, Darsh finds out about the Minotaurs. Dandy doesn't say anything about the drow, although before they actually shove off, they 100% go and... um, She goes back and talks to one eye. Did you hear anything else? Nothing new has popped up, and the clerics haven't seen anything else uh, from the mysterious men in black that were looking for Pandora. It's at this point that the characters put together men in black going into the Pandora temple. Men in black like assassins in the city. Is it the same group of people? They have a lot of common things in their descriptors that lead them to think that the potential assassins could be the same ones that were going into the um, Pandora place. So that's a concern that they're linked with that. Because if so, that's a much bigger deal. There's a much larger effort in the city. And that means that the group of people looking for Pandora's box have a description of Dandy and her friends. They know the box was taken by them, and they're looking for them specifically. So that's a concern, right? So you can imagine. So... They decide to uh, they get everything they need. They have all this stuff built. They are ready to head out on their little adventure to try to find these islands of Captain Shen, or, huh, Shang, Captain Shang, um, and to potentially, hopefully, end the curse that is haunting his surviving crew and maybe do away with a nasty, evil pirate captain that could terrorize the seas in the near future. And as the Miss Dandelion shoves off on its maiden voyage, I mean, it's been on many voyages, but it's the first one as the Miss Dandelion. They even had it renamed. As it shoves off and everybody's kind of hanging out on the dock and watching Dandy just looking back at the Pax wall and like, wow, we're out on our first boat. It's our boat, even though it's really his boat. Um, you know, it's their boat is how they all view it. And Darsh talks about it the same way. It's like, ah, welcome to my boat, you know. He's looking and she sees people and... You know, she sees people looking at them weird. Because, again, it's a weird... It's a, it's a mixed crew being headed by Dart. They've been a bit of a focal point. People on the docks have been looking at this the last few last few days like, this is a weird crew coming up here, and they're loading on, and they're taking... They're clearly going. Nobody knows exactly where they're going. Even the crew. Only the first mate, the second mate, who was the previous owner of the boat, and they... Uh, and the navigator. They had to bring navigator in because he had to know where they're navigating. Those are the only people that know where they're going at this point because they didn't want it leaked out, hey, we're going to go look for a pirate treasure, right? Like, you you just, you don't want that to get around. Um, so, they said that they're going on a, they, I think they said they're going on a mission for the for the church. They're going to go past Arduel and into some deeper waters to try to do some message thing for the church, I believe is the story that they used as their cover story. But they're sliding off and there's a lot of people on the deck or out on the docks that are just, you know, kind of staring at them and like, what a weird group of people. And there's one young man at the end and he's just waving like crazy. And he's like, bye, bye. See you guys later. We're going to go into the water now. Ah." And Miss Dandelion sails out into the water on its first true adventure. Darsh at the 
well, standing next to the helm. Dorham is technically piloting right now. But Darsh was kind of standing there and very excited. He got some new pants. Um, he had some very loose, almost like MC Hammer kind of, not that low in the crotch, but some billowy light pants for out on deck. And he's got a big sash tied around. He, he was very, very captain-y looking. He went out of his way. Didn't have a hat, though. I tried to get him to get a piratey looking hat, but he didn't go with a hat at this point. I can't remember if we ever got a hat. I'll have to look into that. Uh, but they uh, bumble out on their first voyage via ship that they control um, on their way to find the potential uh, evil pirate lord. And that's where we're going to call it for today. Uh, we've been going two and a half hours, and that's the normal amount. I know that last time we went really, really long with us because I was trying to finish a chapter specifically. Uh, but this is a good spot to end this now because we're going to get into some cool pirate stuff in the next episode. Um, so hopefully uh, you guys enjoyed this story today. Uh, this section of it anyways. I know the beginning was kind of slow, but again, it's the beginning of a chapter. I'm building up to a lot of the stuff that's going to be happening in this this chapter. The first chapter of this series is, of course, the Firemoon Saga and everything Firemoon did. The second chapter is them trying to get all the magical artifacts which cumulated in the Battle of the, uh, um, the Valley of Sacrifice. Uh, the third chapter is them getting all the stones to get the weapons back. And now we're in the fourth chapter. So that's, that's kind of what we're at now. We're in what I would consider the fourth chapter of this story. So again, we're not halfway done yet. <laughs> I'm going a lot more detail than I, I, I thought I would. But yeah, we're, I wouldn't say we're, I don't know if we're close to half. I wouldn't even say we're close to half yet. So I, I, I'm not sure how many chapters this. I need to sit down and figure that out. But that's going to do it for today. I thank everybody who's come by and watched the stream today. I appreciate it. Again, this is the favorite thing that I do. Uh, the story I've been doing for over 25 years, it means a lot to me. So it means a lot that I get to share it with you all. Uh, if you did enjoy the stream and you haven't already, please be sure to click like. But most importantly, please remember to hit subscribe so you can all see our videos and streams and all that stuff as it comes out. You can also go to my website, onlydraven.com. And there on the website, you can find um, links to all my social media accounts, like Twitter and such. Um, you can also find uh, things like the ODG store, get you some uh, Merged Worlds merch. I'm wearing mine tonight. Um, a buddy of mine who got one, who's become a huge fan of Merged Worlds, actually wore his Merged World shirt performing. He's a musician, and he wore it up on stage the other day, and people were asking him what it meant, and he was, he was trying to push people towards come hear the story, so that's pretty awesome. Uh, but yeah, he was wearing out. I told him, you gotta get, you gotta get a picture of me when you're up there playing your guitar, dude, with the shirt on. I want to see that. Um, but yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, this story is also available on audio podcast on both iTunes and Spotify. Just do a search for Merged Worlds. It's all one word, M-E-R-G-E-D-W-O-R-L-D-S. There is a link to both of those on OnlyDraven.com on the first page. Um, if you don't mind and you have either of those, it would be awesome if you'd swing in there and either follow it or like it. Um, it would also be awesome if you'd leave a review. That means a lot on those platforms. Uh, and be honest, I'm not asking you to give, rate me all fives or whatever, but if you like it enough or you have a, an opinion enough that you could... Um, throw a review on there. That would mean a lot. I'd appreciate it, but that's just if that's something you're into. Um, oh, I'm lagging. Oh, I apologize. Well, we're about to call it, so we'll make this the end. So, that's going to do us for today. Again, thank you all very much for coming by. Tomorrow is Minecraft Monday, 7 p.m. Eastern. We'll be jumping into our new Minecraft mod pack. We're going to be doing Volcano Block. So, um, that starts tomorrow. It's a whole new mod pack. Hopefully, you guys will come by for that. And then we may do some bonus streams 
maybe Tuesday and or Wednesday. I'm not sure yet. I'm still looking into my plans. We may have a couple extra streams this week. Uh, but again, thank you all for coming by. It means a lot to me. You guys listen to me jabber about this stuff. Special thank you to my members. I appreciate you guys being part of the membership program. It's what helps keep the lights on and let's be able to do prizes and stuff like that. So it matters. Um, so if you haven't, you're interested in it, click the join button on my page, on my YouTube channel. It'll tell you all the perks and bonuses that come with the uh, membership. Maybe it's something you'd be interested in. It's like a Twitch sub, except less expensive and you get way more perks. And then of course, uh, the last thing as always, thank you all very much to my moderator for helping me make this crap work. <laughs> I appreciate you guys more than I can ever describe. But I'm going to call that for the day because my throat is getting sore and I've streamed a lot today. We will see you tomorrow night for some Minecraft. You guys all have yourselves a wonderful night and we will see you soon. Thanks for coming to Merge Worlds. <laughs>